0: Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast, by guitarists for guitarists. And now your hosts, John Brown and Al Levy.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We've been running conversations with some of the best guitar players in the game for over a year now. Not only has this been amazing for myself and Al to learn from, but it's been amazing for us to share this vast knowledge with all of you. If you enjoy what we're doing, then please share us with your friends. And we especially love iTunes reviews. Remember that you can tag us if you want to share the podcast on your Instagram. You can find me at Brown Monuments. That's B R O W N E M O N U M E N T S. And you can find AL at AL Levy U R M Audio. That's E Y A L L E V I U R M A U D I O. Always remember that we will never charge you for this podcast, so please keep listening and enjoying. All we ask in return is a share, post, and a tag. Anyway, let's get on to this week's guest.
0: Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Our guest today is Josh Travis, who is a beastly guitar player, songwriter, and musical mastermind currently playing in a muir and also doing some really, really awesome solo work. In conjunction with a very active streaming presence on Twitch. Josh is known for a lot more than just a mure in Twitch, though. He's a veteran of Tony Danza, Tap Dance, Extravaganza, and Glass Cloud, among many others. This guy is awesome. Here goes. Josh Travis, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast.
1: Hello. Hello.
0: Hello. I Hello, my, Joshua. My Christian Bale voice on. Thank you. It is pretty deep
2: (laughs) You should have never gave me a microphone You should have never done that (laughs) Uh,
0: How are we? Wait a minute please (laughs) So interesting man Like I remember A really long time ago uh, Brown was on a tour In like 2014 And he told me About this dude in Glass Cloud Who had the most Ridiculous Rhythm tone On the planet and that he couldn't figure it out. He didn't tell me your name, but he just talked a lot about uh, your tone and uh, rhythm playing. And then later I found out he was talking about you. And then several years later, we had a Muir on Now The Mix and Wizard Blood told me that you tracked the entire album in like a take or two, (laughs) which is kind of insane. And then in the pre-interview, you told Ben that you consider yourself a riffer and not a shredder. Yeah, 100%. I want to hear about where the fuck your right hand came from.
2: <laughs> That's It's so funny that you ask because he's right there. There he's right there. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to the mirror tracking thing. Let's be fair that the stuff is not so involved that it would take like many many passes to nail it like the parts just aren't written like that i think they're very easy you know like it's for you whatever kind of a uh, muscle memory you have to get from each part but ultimately they're very easy and if it really took you multiple takes to grab that stuff probably need practice <laughs> It's not. it's just not it's just not hard you know it's just about whatever the rhythm is just nail it i think the big thing is no editing I'm not into editing guitars.
1: Thank God. Oh, my God. Thank God I've met another one. Thank yeah. you.
2: It's 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 rare now, you know, like everything is just so over the top edited. And like if you really listen to those uh, takes from that record, you'll hear botched parts. You'll hear mistakes, mess ups all over the place. I don't care because <laughs> I guarantee you, if you come see us, I'm going to do it there too. So it's no <laughs> point in making it all perfect here when I'm going to mess up. I'm I'm human. I'm going to mess up. Even though the parts are easy, I'm still going to mess up. I promise. I promise you I'm going to mess up. But yeah, that's, <laughs> that's how that stuff went. And like meeting brown like i don't know i guess this was about 63 years ago um <laughs> and i could not hang with what he was doing at all i couldn't i was and so i would just listen to it and try to like play it all the time and that that just uh changes your technique a lot like listen to somebody like he sounds profound when he plays you know so it's kind of like you have to like develop a technique to be able to move this quickly and that you know specific so you can really blame him for a lot of that like i i'm just trying to learn how to string a guitar still so uh (laughs) yeah that's
1: all brown's fault (laughs) oh man yeah i mean i've known josh since 2004 Um, damn
2: it's been that long wow
1: Ooh. yeah 17 years man <laughs> you you could have just said
2: 2004 left it there he put the actual <laughs> the data out there it,
0: it's it's been 17 years <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of insane yeah so I mean it's cool you're humble and all like uh you know that's uh admirable most people can't just nail shit entire albums in a take it's freakish but the thing is I understand what you're saying because uh there's been lots of times where I've been involved in a recording and someone has done a phenomenal job recording like Alex Rudinger or something or Sean Reiner, or one of those types of dudes and everyone is just like freaking out about it and of course I thought that it was amazing but then at the same time there's this voice in the back of my head that's like yeah it's really great but uh what are we freaking out about they're just doing their job that's what they should be doing why is it such a big deal that they're doing what they're supposed to do which is play the shit out of these parts like isn't shouldn't that just be the normal, normal? yeah then i think about my experience in the classical world where people do just do that and so i guess i kind of understand what you're saying but it's still kind of freakish and cuz people do 8 million takes of everything. Yeah,
2: no point. I just feel like you're just kind of wasting yourself at that point.
0: I completely
1: agree. Yeah. I mean, if you listen to like those old Incubus albums, there's mistakes all over them, but you don't really remember it as being a mistake. You just kind of remember it as being like a cool thing. You know what I mean? that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's what it is. I mean, no one knows it's a mistake until um, the record's out and you say Mm
2: <laughs> yep. you, you actually hear it back. You are like,
1: oh my god! Did
2: you hear that? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, mean, I still find them on literally every record I've ever done. Like, I I listen back at some point, and it's like, who who let that slide? <laughs> who who literally let that
0: slide? Like,
2: really? Like, I hear it all the time. But you know, I am not trying to be perfect. I just I just want to have fun doing it you know.
0: So the thing is though, when a guitar part is doubled, mm-hmm. doesn't a mistake like readily present itself?
2: Oh yeah. It shows up big time.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. That doesn't, you don't have to wait till the album comes out to right. notice a mistake if mm-hmm. you're doubling or tripling or quadding things.
2: And I, I guess I don't really, I don't know. Like I know when you, you take a pass and you're like, all right, let's listen back to it. I don't do that. I w- when I take the pass, it's like, did it feel good or did it not feel good? Like that's all that matters. I don't. As long as it's not like uh, I was supposed to be on three and I was on six, you know, if it was something like that, that already wouldn't have felt good. But it's like if I'm just like in the zone on something and it feels. Feels like home, then I'm just, I'm gonna take it, and if it's something super crazy, then I'll retake the other side, you know, <laughs> which makes it even more ridiculous for me because I quad track almost everything. So when I do buy something, now I gotta go redo it three more times, <laughs> you know. So there's that whole can of worms, but I don't know. I don't. I, I try to be in the right headspace. If I'm if I'm in a studio or tracking, like. Now's not the time to be botching parts, you know, like you should be well ready. And generally, since I write majority, if not all of everything that I'm tracking, I already know what, what I'm, what I'm going for and what the parts are, you know, things like that. So I don't really just blow it like that. I don't really just blow it, but if I did and I liked it, then I would just track everything else like that. Call it a day. It's easy.
0: Okay. So you said that you don't listen back to takes. And so I guess you're listening and feeling it while you're doing, but maybe describe a little more to what you're listening for, or is it just way deeper than that?
2: I guess I don't really spend a whole lot of time thinking and listening to where I was as much as I'm listening to when I was because yeah. it's more about that sonic slap than it is about a harmonious notes. Like I don't really do a lot of like I guess like a lot of material that needs to have super focus on the melody. Although there there is like a lot of melody there, but it's usually very dissonant. And sometimes if things get a little squirrely, it ends up cooler anyways. So I don't really pay like a a lot of attention to was I doing like this or not? I'm listening for. (laughs) And if those are in, at least I know we're locked. And then, you know, once I do like a full playback of like the whole track, if something stands out, then it's like, okay, wait, 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 wait. But and then sometimes even when it does stand out, I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> you know, it's just, it really just depends on what it is. You know, not very like militant on anything. If I am, it's probably drums, drums and bass. That's where I'm like very critical, like, w- like making sure these things are really like in tune together. Like guitars is almost like, well, <laughs> we'll see what
0: happens. Yeah. <laughs> but you had to be militant at some point to get to the point where you can just be relaxed about it now. Yeah. I know where he's
1: coming from because this is the exact same method that I used for Gnosis and the Emanuensis, where I wasn't necessarily listening if I'd played a note not as strong as something else. I'm like, does it groove? Does it feel good in that moment? I know exactly where you're coming from. Yeah, it's different. Rather than really worrying if it's like perfect, you're just worrying, does it feel good in the moment? Yes,
2: exactly
1: Which I think is actually what my approach was for years as well And yeah, I mean, uh, Al, obviously you did a bit of the amanuensis I don't know if you heard the guitars weren't weren't that tight But when you put everything together, then it creates the sound Tight is a relative thing Okay, right, okay, difference. Human type versus machine type.
0: Yeah, I'm just saying it's a relative thing because, uh, you know, I've worked on records that are, like, fake tight. (laughs) And, yeah, maybe it wasn't like that where, you know, it was recorded in, like, two-note segments and then cut together and all that. Yeah, maybe not like that. As far as albums I've worked on that were actually performed, it's tight as fuck,
1: same with, like, everything that Josh has done. Like, when you listen back to those, you know, Emile records, the uh, Tony Danza Tab dance extravaganza, all the way through to even when knives go skywards, which oh. I'm sure a few people oh. here will... A few people listening probably have no idea what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah. I don't even...
1: <laughs> ah, yeah, it was uh, pre-Tony Danza, pre-the goddamn rodeo. The hey, no, no, I'm bro. surprised he even remembers all this. <laughs> <laughs> He knows yeah, them was,
2: all. He knows. Yeah, yeah.
1: I've been I've been here for the whole thing. But yeah, it's yeah. just like uh, there's a there's a difference between that like uh, two notes it's almost tricking people into thinking that you're better than you actually are versus someone that actually tracks the record.
0: Now, to degree, I just I have to play devil's advocate for a second because I've recorded some unbelievable guitar players who do want to break it down like that, not because they're not amazing, it's just, they just hear it that way, I guess. They want to hear it in a way that's almost inhuman, but the thing is, they can actually play it. Then why not just play it? Because (laughs) it doesn't have the inhuman vibe they're going for. It's hard to explain. Yeah. They want
2: a meticulous mechanical perfection.
0: Yeah. But it's not because they suck and you have to glue it together. because. There's no other choice. They could sit there and track it like real guitar players. They just have this vision to where it's more like a synth almost.
2: That's interesting.
0: That's the closest thing I can describe it to is like almost like electronic music or something to where it's not about feeling human. That's not it. There's a certain feel they're going for that can only be achieved that way. I think there's a difference though.
1: Like, I think that it depends on the intent, doesn't it? Yes. Like, so if you, if that's the sound you're going for, where you want it to sound completely inhuman, then that's fair. But there's a difference between that and then doing it because
0: that's the perception you want to give and how you play. There's a big, there's a big difference. Good example is Necrophagist. Unbelievable. I toured with them in 2007 and they were fucking. Amazing, and I know that they recorded their stuff like no for no a note or two or three at a time. Even way back in two thousand two and two thousand three, like like wouldn't that take forever? Yeah, I can't be bothered. No, <laughs> oh dude, it takes it takes for fucking ever. It would have to. It does, <laughs> and doesn't that just sound like? Eh, oh,
2: oh, ah, ah, ah,
0: ah. Well, no, not necessarily. There's techniques for. That, like, you play into the note, you play out of the note, so you have what comes before it and what goes after it. And so if you do it right, the transitions between the notes sound seamless. But, yeah, if you just play, like, two notes and two notes and two notes and then, like, paste them together and they're, (laughs) like, totally isolated, yeah, it can start to sound like a robot. But, like, for instance, you finish riff A and you finish riff B, and then you punch in the transition between riff A and B, even if it's just your hand moving positions, like those types of things can make a uh, piece together recording sound not piece together. So there's ways around it.
2: It sounds like a whole lot of work. I can't be it bothered is. to do.
0: Dude, <laughs> it's a shitload.
2: Of <laughs> work. Dude, uh, bless you bless your heart for going through it all, but. Hey, we work (laughs) together. We're going to be done in 25 minutes.
0: I would way prefer that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think, I mean, this is like just going further than, um, you know, the live band situation. where Everyone just gets in a room, plays the song, live band situation. Then you have where people track whole sections by themselves, sometimes whole songs in your instance, which is fucking mental, I would like to add. And then... Whole albums. Oh, whole albums, yeah, in one take. Fucking nuts. And then uh, then you get the people that obviously want to do this method as well. So I think like there's sort of like three tiers into the recording now, um, which where obviously before it would have been two. And I think the third one's only added in the last like 20, 25 years, I would say.
0: So there's only one other musician I've known who does the full albums thing. This this drummer named uh, tom knight that i I bet you guys haven't heard of no he um was a session drummer in atlanta who did like all like the big rap and r&b and pop stuff that was huge around like the 2000s and you know toured with like tlc and Uh, ah yes was the guy who did all that stuff and apparently i mean this guy was godly fucking drummer, he would apparently go into one of these high-level pop sessions or something and just play the whole album in one take. 45 (laughs) minutes, 15 minutes. done. That's the end. Love that. A drummer that
2: can nail that? Not the same as a guitar player that can nail that. It's not the same. Like... There's a different level of, I have a whole lot of shit to do right here, you know, where all I got to do is go, Bang. <laughs> you know, where a drummer <laughs> has this way more involved, like really being on the meter, like he deserves a trophy.
0: Oh, this guy deserves all the trophies. I, <laughs> I feel like it's a crime that he's not recognized the way that some of those gospel and uh, pop drummers. Are, but he's just not as good with uh, putting his drums out there on camera for everybody. But it is an unbelievable sight to experience that dude playing. But you're a drummer, too. We
1: don't talk about that
0: either. Oh, no, we, we we're, we're
1: going we're to talk about that. We're going to talk about that because you <laughs> joined Danza on drums before guitar. Yeah. That's how that's how good Josh is at drums.
2: Oh man, what a weird time. I
1: auditioned
2: for I, should I even say auditioned? I don't know how the whole the whole thing really worked, but tried out. It was like I went there and started learning the songs. It wasn't like oh, okay. I really had to like try out. It was just like I sent them some of the stuff that I was working on by myself.
0: You just appeared in their band. Yes,
2: basically. So I get there and we're like you know, Lane is teaching me all the songs that I thought that I knew how they went. And I was way off. Way up. <laughs> of course it couldn't be the mildly easy-ish. No, no, no. When I showed him the what I thought it was, he was he literally was like, <laughs> no, not quite (laughs) fun. I'm like, like, great. And then he starts really showing me the parts now stress overload. Right. But I mean, after, I don't know, I guess it was probably like a week or so, just really like in the zone with him, like nonstop. And, you know, I really started getting the parts down. We're going into the practice space, which is like a shed or something like that. We're there practicing. And (sighs) I have to take the fault for some of this. I do Be- because I just can't help it when I see somebody going through something and I think I might have an idea that could potentially help them. I just want to offer it, you know, just like, hey, if you maybe, you know, it's just, it's just an idea more than anything.
0: Can't help yourself.
2: Yeah, I just because I, it's like, especially in drums. I feel like if I see you doing some, some, some kind of sticking and it's like, yo, if you just added like a simple double right there, you can, you'll fly right back over to your lead hand. And so it's just kind of, you know, just wanted to help more than anything. And he kept doing something over and over and he kept like just botching the part. It was like so bad. And I was, I was seeing him doing it and I'm like, why are you doing that like that? Like, you're a sick drummer. Why, why can't you just mathematically say, Oh, left, left, right. But he, he kept not doing it. And it was like, and I was like, Hey, you know, if you just added like the, just a one more boop on your left he you would come back <laughs> on the right. And he goes, what did he say? Something like, Hey, I'm the drummer, so let me play the drums and you just play <laughs> guitar. And dude, everybody else in the band, Wrong and keep, answer. Yeah, keep in mind, they have no idea that I play drums at all. They had no idea, but they were like, not about that attitude, like to the point that they were like, you can leave. And I'm sitting here like, well, uh, I, I just, it was just a one extra left. That That's it. Just and and then bam, come up. And that was it. He was gone. He was gone. He left. He quit the band or got kicked out, however you want to call it. That was that. And uh, everybody else in the band said, oh, we'll find another drummer. We'll, we can get a fill-in. We've had fill-ins before. It won't be a problem. Blah, 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 And it comes down to being one week before my first tour with Tony Danza. And uh, <laughs> they, everybody's getting super bombed. They're, like, stressing about having to call our... Uh, Our agent And you know Tell her we can't Do this tour Because we don't have a drummer And My dumb ass I said (laughs) We were at the bass player's house And I said You know like I guess if we really can't find a drummer I can probably pull this off And I swear They were all talking And blah 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 And it was fucking silence Just Cricket Cricket Everybody's looking at me And then they all start Bust out laughing Just just laugh, like, <laughs> Yo, yeah, right, okay, <laughs> like, one of those things, and I'm like, no, nah, like, I probably could, I think if I was to really, like, sit here and just go super hard on this, I could probably figure it out, enough to play a set, and uh, they're like, okay, I guess we can try it or something, so they called the old drummer, the original drummer, Mason, and we went over to his house, picked up his kit, <laughs> went back out to the practice space, set it up, and
0: and he knew you were taking his kit.
2: Yeah, he he offered it, and he was like, "Yeah, oh, if, he, so if he, was, he could
0: do it, it was way over
2: it." Yeah, yeah, well, this wasn't the, the previous drummer. This was the original ah. drummer. Oh,
0: oh, okay. So this isn't the dude that uh, had the hissy fit. No,
2: in- no, not him. This okay. is uh, the the original guy from way back year, many years ago, and he still had his kit, and he's like, yeah, you take it, do whatever you want. <laughs>
0: like- man, that sounds like such an awkward situation, walking <laughs> into a scenario for the first oh, time man. with these people, and you just say something, and don't, get the reaction you were expecting but basically a totally unwarranted explosive weird awkward reaction
2: yeah I mean there was probably something else going on with him and or them you know
0: sounds to me like he was probably having a lot of trouble with the material and was in over his head
2: Uh, he really wasn't he was sick
0: yeah but he might not have known that
2: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what his, his playing showed it like oh my god he was so good and so when I kept seeing him doing that it was kind of like bro just you just add whatever it was I can't remember exactly what it was but he was not into me telling him an idea (laughs) he was not feeling that (laughs) and so yeah we set up the kit and we ran through the set you know it was like when we first started the first song I was just looking at everybody and they're looking at me like wide open eyes, like, what the fuck is this dude doing right now? Like, how is this dude playing this shit? And it was just, you know, like for me, it's like I, I'm just trying to make it so we can do this. And then that turned into now I have to play drums for Tony Danza for I don't even know how long
0: <laughs> until <laughs>
2: until we got a drummer. And I I was able to do one tour in Tony Danza as a five piece. Like Lane and I got to play guitar together one time, one time on one tour only. That was it. And then after that, ev- everything shifted again. And here I am again, all by myself. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> this is it.
0: This is it for me. You just reminded me of uh, experience I had once. When I was going to Berkeley, I, you know, would come home in the summers and the first summer I was like, I need to just get in a band for a summer or something to just keep playing, not just practicing. And I found some band that was kind of cool and I started playing with them. Three practices in, I just, man, there's this one song that just was like two parts back to back to back to back to back to back for like six minutes straight. I just suggested that, you know, maybe we can add a, a third part or change the structure a little bit. Just throwing that out there. The dude fucking exploded. She's like, fucking Berkeley, man, fucking yeah. making suggestions. Yeah, fuck you, man. Like, all this stuff. Uh, I just uh, picked up my shit and left.
2: Yeah. Probably, probably a good choice.
0: Yeah, that kind of attitude, man. When people cannot handle any sort of criticism at all or suggestion from other people, they better be fucking amazing. God tier. Yeah, they better be. Can I just say
2: something about that? The whole Berkeley thing. What about it? I can't say that I had like a like a preconceived thing about how these people are. <laughs> but I think I kind of did. Like, I was just kind of like, is this in your head. Like, if you're, especially Berkeley, like, if you're a Berkeley grad, you're probably sick. You know, it's just kind of, to me, it's just kind of...
0: Other way around. If you're a Berkeley dropout, you're probably good.
2: <laughs> oh, really? Is that how it is? Yeah. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I just kind of always thought, like, well, if you're a Berkeley dude, you're probably way too cool for school and probably way too good at the same time and let me tell you two of the half of the band from Glass Cloud were Berkeley grads and dude they th- whether they know this or not they taught me a lot like a, like and I can't even just say especially one of them because they they really both did like playing with Chad really kind of changed the way that I play drums because watching how he, how he does things. I, I can't do it, but it did change it a lot. And then also with Travis, he, uh, his way with notes and like arranging things, it just changed a lot of that stuff that i had no idea about. And playing with people that were schooled and like really know what they're doing was like very awesome very awesome.
0: Well, your preconceived notion isn't off, Uh, (laughs) and what I mean is I remember in Boston going to different studios, like I was before I started my own studio I scouted studios in Boston because I wanted to get like a real recording, so I went to all the nice ones, and I remember an engineer at one of the first studios I went to telling me, just don't tell Anyone, you go to Berkeley because people from Berkeley have a real bad reputation in this town. Uh, no one wants to work with them because they all think they know everything and have this like Berkeley attitude. Uh, so <laughs> <almost> you're not <laughs> off with that. But the thing is, people who do go there and uh, are serious about music do come out pretty great because I mean, that's all they're doing all day, every day for several years.
1: Do you know what that just reminded me of, Al, when you said that sentence about, um, you know, people not hiring people from Berkeley. It's like that moment in Goodwill Hunting. How would you like them peaches? Apples. (laughs) Oh, apples, that's it. Yeah, fuck. I even got it wrong. Peaches. Yeah, I don't know why I thought peaches. I don't know. Why did I think peaches? I have no idea. But you know know which bit I'm talking about. Yes, I do. And it's in Boston as well, isn't
0: it? Yeah. I forget what school... Will Hunting was supposed to go to. Was it like MIT or Harvard?
1: Something like that. Yeah. And then that guy. Yeah. That just reminded me of that moment anyway. Yeah. Ignore me on that bit. That, that know it all guy. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, which bit the yeah. bar. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There is quite a few of those people at Berkeley, the know it alls. My experience was that, like, when I worked with people who went there who were like just into music, weren't trying to be know it alls, they were, they were pretty amazing musicians. But it's the dropouts generally. Really, there's the, it's like a running joke there. Yeah, because like uh, I believe like Petrucci and Steve Vai and like all these people who went on to massive careers dropped out. Oh, um,
2: wow, well, I never knew that.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's like a thing there. You're not supposed to graduate. Oh. Though, though I do know quite a few grads who are great and who have gone on to do things. You're you're not supposed to graduate.
2: Sign me up. I can, I can make that happen easy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So with drums, man, like hearing that you were a drummer makes the rhythm playing on guitar make a lot more sense to me. Because when you say that you, you know, feel things a certain way and uh, the way that you keep time, it sounds to me like a lot of the work, at least that part of your brain was already developed I definitely agree. It kind of makes perfect sense. Do you think like a drummer? Or do you think like a guitar player?
2: 100% a drummer, 100%. And then I just try to figure out how to play guitar to whatever I'm doing in the drums. Like a lot of, a lot of times when I write stuff, I just write drums. And then I it just, it's almost like you kind of like, when you're playing the parts, you like sing what the riff would be, not really play it. And then but i mean there's some times where it's like i only have the guitars in mind at first but uh i don't know i, th- I think that i always feel things from the drummer side you know because that's like the big impact is going to be some probably shared between the the drums and the bass and the guitars i try to have them have like i don't know like the walls to everything where the drums and the bass really are. The entire floor like you can't stand without it and the guitars could be as cool and wild as they are but if you don't have that floor to stand on what do you really have you know so i think i probably had like spearhead everything with the drums more than anything even if it's like a super dynamic thing there's always some kind of a vibe that I stick to the drums at, like, that's why I guess even when we play live, like, I'm always locked in on where the drummer's at, because, I mean, that's, to me, that's, like, probably the most important part, you know, is, like, where's, where's, where's my drummer at, you know, so I, I really like to stay super, super zoned in on that, and if he starts lagging, then I got to start lagging, you know, like whatever, whatever it is. I just, you have to be locked in there for me. That's what I, that's
0: what I got to do. Do you think that if guitar players want to get better at riffing and rhythm, they should pick up drums? No, I would think that they need to pick up a metronome.
2: <laughs> that's, it. that's it. If you want to get like really deep into rhythmic playing, I still wouldn't necessarily say you need to pick up drums. Even if you could like pick up like drum tabs to see like the different things that they can do and you know inside of the kit that can really change like where you can take your hands you know and rather than just always sticking to creating the rhythm with your picking hand like I like to do a lot of little things with my left hand to go in between like a boom slap you know like pick slap and you can find different ways to make rhythms happen there rather than pick, 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 pick all the time. Plus it gives you like a different sound. So, you know, you start having just weird sounds happening all over the place. And if you can lock that all in, it can turn out to be pretty cool sometimes, you know.
1: I think the the advice of looking at drum tabs and -hmm. even programming those drum tabs Mm -hmm. really does give a good insight for guitar players to... Learn what other drummers are doing and find out the little nuances to see what they like.
2: Yeah, um, absolutely.
1: It's what everyone always asks, how do you learn to program drums? Or, because I, I can't fucking play drums, I'm useless. Like, my left <laughs> my left foot wants to play what the right hand is meant to play. And, you know, <laughs> hey, it might be special tracking. Let's see what we hey, got. Hey, yeah, let's see what happens. Might have to put the symbol on the floor. Um, yeah. <laughs> but. <laughs> Just to go back, one question as well. You said that, um, you know, you always think rhythmically like a drummer. Does that mean you approach guitar with the rhythm in mind first before the melody? Absolutely. But
2: you know what, though? I know when I'm really feeling a part because notes are already happening. Okay, yeah. But when I go into the part to say track the part, I'm never thinking about those notes first. I'm always thinking about where is the rhythm and how... how Was I feeling it in my head? How can I flesh that out? And then, like, a lot of times when I'm trying to flesh out the part, I'll still be thinking of what these melodies are. The hard part for me is I don't hear guitar in... uh, How do I say this? In a single source melody. There's always stacks upon stacks upon stacks of guitars and melodies, and there's just always so many different voices happening. I don't ever... like. Musically, there's never just one guitar happening, even if it's double. Like, that's still one to me. And there's never just one happening. I I hear these things in like just different voices, almost like if you were to have like uh, maybe even a small orchestra, like if you have. Uh, a string section, you have one section playing this uh, section, this section is playing this section, and the last one is probably playing like the bass or something. And I hear all of these guitars in my head like this, where it's like only this guitar is playing in this register. So to me, that's the lead. And then you have this section that's playing like the meat and potatoes. That's the main melody. And then you have your bass. I just always hear it like that. So... Sometimes it's a little weird to track all the parts out because I'm going to need a lot of channels already just to get the idea fully out there. But like there's always melodies happening, but I, I definitely always focus on like the, the rhythm first. And then sometimes once I got the rhythm, then I have to pull it back because I don't necessarily want it to be 100 percent full driving force. Like sometimes I needed to lack a little bit. Pull it back to like 80 and then we'll find the spot to get up to 100, you know, things like just kind of weird shit like that. Oh, oh, there's another thing. I don't know what I'm doing in case you guys
0: didn't get this, <laughs> I don't know
2: what the hell I'm doing. <laughs>
0: What do you mean by pull it back to 80?
2: I'm going to call it just aggressive music in general. I think being at 100 the whole time is very defeating, very uh, oh, okay. fatiguing. Yeah. You know, so it's like if you really have that moment, like you find the moment where it's like this is 100 percent, then dial the rest of the shit back some. So you you have like wiggle room, you have breathing room. You know, I don't I don't want things to just be 100 percent because then they start to just feel like everything's 70 you know, so I try to leave leave room to really amp amp and ramp it all the way up to hundred at some point. You know, maybe that point might last a little long, but as long <laughs> as we were at eighty somewhere before or yeah. after or whatever, then I, I try to always keep it like that. I just wanted to I wanted to be dynamic, you know, even for aggressive music, I think it can still get very dynamic which does not happen when everything is controlled by Steve Jobs or a a PC. You know, everything (laughs) is literally 127, and that's how life goes. And I literally (laughs) hate that. I hate it. It does not move me.
0: Yeah, you know, I think that that's one of the biggest problems with metal records is that they just kind of become like this static wall of noise after a while mm-hmm. to the listener when they kind of stay at the same musical dynamic. Mm-hmm. It's just your brain shuts off.
2: It really does. You know what I what I have noticed you know, since I am uh, 93 years old and I've been doing this for 91 years, the one thing I have really noticed, and this is probably going to sound pretty fucked up, and I don't mean for it to, but if I'm being honest, God, there's really no way to put this without sounding like an asshole. There's no way. So <laughs> here it is, here it is Mr. Asshole himself. Here we go. So <laughs> I think we don't have the same musicianship in modern metal now, and it's not really so much about how good is your band as much as it is how good is your engineer and that is is a very weird thing for me Like I grew up with Bands that were sick as fuck And the engineers were not and it didn't yeah. matter because it was still so sick that even with a terrible recording, it fucking ruled. It just ruled, and now it's almost like the exact opposite. Like you yeah. don't have to be good you you just can play literally, like you said. Like give me give me half a pass, and then give me the rest of the pass, but just pick it up, and I'll put it together. Like what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like that's that's the world that I I grew up in. So it's like. You didn't need to have the most insane engineer to have something sick. So I'm already like operating from a different spot than I think more modern people are playing and recording from. So, you know, I I guess you would have to treat it differently. And I've just never been in that situation where it's like, you don't need to be even good at what you do just play the parts and i'll fix them and then make them sound insane like really i wish they would have told me that like 15 years ago like okay <laughs> this sounds great so but it's, it's really cool and like hey god bless all these engineers because i tell you what there's a lot of badasses out there like they can make this shit sound crazy and then when you see the band you're like what
0: like, i know what, what is, you're talking about it's very disappointing
2: it is it is but you got to get it out however you get it out i don't want to like deter anyone from doing anything i just think that it is we're in a, at a very different point in music in general you know where you you'd really don't have to be good you you just don't somebody can make you good
1: after the fact you know and that's weird i actually understand where you're coming from. It's almost like uh, back then it was all about how good the songs were on a record. I mean, one record that always springs to mind for me that has fucking God awful production, but is such an outrageously good record is Ion Dissonance. Breathing is irrelevant. And the production is fucking atrocious <laughs> on that record. Um, but I listen to it on repeat all the time because it just was so disgustingly heavy same with Solace actually as well Solace as well not very good production but when that breakdown in OASD comes on it just makes me lose my shit because mm-hmm. it's just so heavy <laughs> yeah. but nowadays it's like it's the opposite it's like the songs don't generally need to be good and everyone's so focused on how it sounds in a way it's really interesting so yeah. yes you are an asshole for saying it but <laughs>
2: <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. But hey, somebody's got to say it. Somebody has hey, to say it.
1: Someone has to say it. Yeah, but then again, obviously there are still great records coming out, but maybe yeah. it's just a different perception. Maybe mm-hmm. you were actually turning into the old man. Back in my day. <laughs> Do you see all this?
0: You see that?
2: It's there. It's there. I, all I need is a rocking chair and a cane or something. Like, I get it. I, hey man, and- you got cracker barrel there. Off the top. <laughs> I have them. Okay, I do. (laughs) The engineering side and what they are doing and turning, you know, some of these bands and their records and material into, it's awesome. Like, I'm I'm never going to, like, take away from that. It's just not the same as where I came from, you know? Like, the engineer just tracked your stuff. And like, you know, maybe the mix engineer could beef it up a little bit or fucking destroy it. Like, you never know which way it's going to go. You never know. And um, so we're just, you know, in a, in a different different time and place. And I think there is uh, some use into, you know, learning that whole side. And, you know, but I think when you're really engineering the the whole sound like that, it's like you could just write for that, you know, like you don't have to write big, crazy, super busy parts. If you want your mix to be massive, you know, you need to pull back a little bit, allow the room to be big, you know? So I, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's just a, it's, it's a, it's a weird thing, but I, I still think it's cool. I just, uh, come from the fucking, the prehistoric times when it wasn't written like that everybody in the band just has to be fucking killing it and we'll figure out the rest later and now it's the other way around I don't give a shit what you're playing you don't even have to play anything I have plugins (laughs) that will make guitar happen for you and it's like wait what
0: okay (laughs) so question for you then in your program drums on the record that we did on Nello Mix Mm -hmm. okay so what's your philosophy towards that By the way, those were immaculately programmed.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you. I spend a lot of time on drums. I know.
0: (laughs) It shows like those are some of the best programmed drums I've ever experienced. That's
2: super cool. Thank you. Thank you so much for that.
0: But I just want to know what your philosophy is on that in light of everything we're talking about.
2: I only program what I would play. I will say that the one thing that I end up doing more times than not, because I don't really have drum mixing super dialed in, I sometimes end up having to always have a left and a right crash, always. Like Now, as soon as it comes to that one, bam, always there. Now, whether or not I could actually pull that off, that's... We just have to see when we come to it. Or maybe I could rework the part so I can always do that. But I generally like to have those happening. But other than that, it's just whatever i would play. Because if you really listen to it, there's nothing really that crazy going on. It's just a, it sounds like a drummer who is in the fucking pocket. That's it. It does. You know, that's that's how I would play it. I don't I don't really like try to go like, you know, insane. I'm never doing some kind of big, crazy you know ridiculous fills and shit i don't do that like i try i don't really try to make any one instrument in the project stand on top of another like if things get big everything is big and if things get dynamic everything gets dynamic you know i want the band to sound like holy fuck i don't want my drums to sound like holy fuck and then everything else is just hiding in the back, you know, I like, I want everything to just gel and flow together. So when we get big, we get big, you know, and when we back down, we back down, you know what I mean? So there's really nothing crazy to it. It's just everything. Everything is just in the pocket every now and then, like guitars might get a little squirrely, but you know, like other than that, I just try to lock it all in. Nothing crazy. You know who you should be talking to about getting crazy on a guitar? This fucking guy right here. Right here, this guy. You know what? It's crazy. I'm just totally shifting this. Watch how I did this. So, what Brown is doing is he's playing lead guitar in a rhythm guitar setting. That's what he's doing. I don't know if people realize that. They're just like, oh yeah, he's just whatever. He's not doing any solos. And It's like Okay, idiot. First off, he's playing a solo the whole time. <laughs> he literally is playing a solo. The oh, whole time, no, and no, 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 no. He's just pushing it into the rhythm world. Like, no, no. I, I have been seeing you do this for many, many, many years, and I have always known what that is. I just can't play like that. I can't do that, and which is going to bring us into an entirely other argument that we are going to have, just not yet. But we are going to have an argument about this today
0: on here. Be here. Let's have it. <laughs> I mean, do you feel like he's right? Because I have actually noticed that too. That it. Uh... Of
2: course he doesn't. He's a psycho. Of course he doesn't think so.
1: No, of course I don't. No. So basically, I've said this. I've said this story before on the podcast, I believe I have, anyway. And what happened was, we played a show. Uh, my old band fell silent. Played a show, and the guitar player of sixth just so happened to be watching us. Uh, it was Pin, which is you know Dan and Pin, Pin the guitar players. and he he comes up to me after the show. And you know, Six were like kind of like idols to us because you know they were part. They were the beginning of the UK tech metal scene. Um, obviously, there was other tech before that, but that was kind of like where it took off. And I remember him coming up to me after the show, and he's like, "Why do you have a seven string if you only play one string?" Whoa. <laughs> and Whoa. I was I was kind of like, I wasn't offended, but I was kind of like, "Huh, you're fucking right." And then after that moment, I was like, I need to incorporate these other six strings. So that's kind of where it came from. Like, if you listen to Fell Silence stuff, it's all very, you know, bottom three strings, chords, and some high stuff on the clean, sparkly stuff, you know. Um, and then once you start getting to Immerse, then it starts adding in more notes. And Then obviously, then we jump to Monuments. And then what we were doing as well, Josh, You know, back in the early days where there was a lot more notes in the higher registers. And it was literally just because of that. It was that one sentence that really changed the way that I approached what I was doing. Like it's always been rhythm based, but it's just doing it in different octaves.
0: You know what else I think it is about your uh, riffs and rhythms is lots of times they're singable.
2: Yeah, always, literally always.
0: Yeah. So they're like actual, they're not just accompaniments.
2: Exactly. He's playing lead parts while he's playing rhythm parts. Like he's, do, he's doing it all.
0: Michael Jackson, man.
1: Just Michael Jackson. Just, <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> it's, Just... it's
2: really like nuts to me to, to see that happen. Like I, I like, there's been like numerous times where I want to like cover anything that you've done. And it's like, yeah, yeah, right.
1: You did. I, I've actually got a couple of times that Josh covered some stuff, and it was very, very oh good. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's crazy. Like watch, watching your videos, you know.
1: You say this, right? And then I attempted to play one of your danza songs and literally just couldn't.
2: That's because you have to be stupid. It doesn't make (laughs) any sense. That's why. Like, remember that that time like 10 minutes ago that I told you, I don't know what I'm doing. I wasn't kidding about it. I wasn't kidding. I have no (laughs) idea. So like... Look at the, look at the tunings. Like, I don't know what, I just do whatever I want. I don't care. <laughs> like, there's no rules here. I just do whatever I want. You're like literally singing the parts. Like it, It's nuts how you do what you do I I love listening to it I would never even pretend to try to play that It's it's just too much It's way way too much It's like so over my head that I'm just like I love listening to it But I won't even pretend to play this You know what I could maybe pull off Is the bass I could maybe pull that off Maybe <laughs> Like but that's it That's it And like drums get the fuck out of here I'm not no No I want to just kick snare Kick snare Sounds good
1: Sounds good I think you uh, kind of undermine just how brilliant what you do is, though. I think that, like, we as guitar players tend to always compare ourselves to other people, which is kind of a negative thing to do because from, well, I guess in a way it's positive because from that, you know, like, from the experiences of listening to other people, people that we enjoy, we kind of carve our own version of it. Um, So if we actually look at, like, you know, from When Knives Go Skywards to now, the melody increase in your music has increased a lot from the complete hatred that was a thousand <laughs> miles of rope. <laughs> yeah, and no one will t- know what I'm talking about, actually. So, yeah, basically when Knives Go Skyward had an album finished and then never released it. Yep. <laughs> Do we probably
2: have three albums that are just sitting? just sitting. I don't know why. Why didn't you release
1: it? Just out of interest. I'm intrigued by this.
2: We had kind of set up a deal. I honestly don't remember what happened that it didn't come out. But I know the big thing was we had like no funding. So doing this, doing the record in a studio was like completely off the table. And like we couldn't afford to do it ourselves. And Everything that we ever had, I did, and it sounds fucking awful. And I'd never felt good about, like, putting this out when every other, you know, metal or whatever type of record out there sounded great. And you turn this on and it's like, uh, this sounds like shit, you know, so it never felt good to be like, yeah, let's, let's just put it out. And like Chad, the singer for Knives, he's even to this day, he's like, dude, let's just put out something. <laughs> and I'm like I'm not against it. I know my, I know my mixes are much better now than they were then, but it's like, even still like there's, I have like a hang up where it's like, if it doesn't sound great, I don't want to put it out. I just don't want to, you know? And Sometimes I've been that. putting out like random, like solo things that it's like, it sounded good enough, you know, good enough to let other people hear it if they want, you know. So getting to that point might help.
1: It's different when you put out a demo versus putting something on a record. Yep.
2: Very much so. Very much. And that stuff, like as old as it was, God, it sounded bad, dude. It sounded bad. So the fact that anybody that ever heard it liked it is always kind of like, whoa. That's crazy.
1: But then again, also, there's those old records that you love that sound particularly not great, but you they still have that nostalgia element in you because of that period of time. So that's probably going to, if you ever release that or we'll plan on releasing it in the future, which, by the way, I think you should do because I think it still stands up to what's being released now, that people will just have that same mindset to it. Yeah, it might be slightly different with the the elitists that want the perfect mixes, but I still think that the the quality of that record deserves to be to be heard by people. Cause you know, you've got, I'm sure, Josh, that you've got your core fan base that kind of follows you wherever you go. You see repeat names popping up, wanting <clears> a <throat> chat or buying a t-shirt, or, you know, wanting to learn from you, asking you what's this guitar part in this song? That so that would probably, you know, someone's been waiting for that record for 17 years, Josh, and you've just been <laughs> cock blocking them. <laughs>
2: God, why do you have to put it like that? When he throws the
1: numbers out,
2: it changes everything. Like, (laughs) I've been waiting for a thousand miles of rope for um, (laughs) 17 years. Do you realize, you know that a thousand miles of rope, I redid that record five times, just trying to get it to sound right.
0: Just trying. I don't know what I'm doing. What does five times mean for you?
2: Five times means... Changing guitars, changing pickups, changing drum samples, like literally everything.
0: From the ground up.
2: Oh, yeah, every time. Rebuilt from the from the fucking ground up. Every even the programming, every single time. Five times, redid that record.
0: Have you ever finished a record and come out feeling satisfied?
2: Absolutely not. Nobody listens to what I want.
0: No one. So where's the line? I don't know. You know it's there, I guess.
2: Yeah, like, you know what I want? You know, I could tell you what I think it is that I want. I want to do a record with... doesn't even have to be some big-ass, crazy, super expensive kit. I just need you to crank the fucking snare. I need the biggest Toms on planet Earth. I need a borderline death metal kick that's just super fast, but still has, like, a lot of weight, like, a lot of low-end, a lot of punch. I need it to be oversaturated as fuck. I need it to be... the drums need to be so pissed just put the guitars and put the cabs in whatever fucking room turn them up as loud as they'll go and put it, do everything through a console like and a bunch of analog gear that's that's what i want i want old school sound i don't want new school sound i don't want that no that's not that's not what I'm that's not where my shit needs to even be it needs to be on a bunch of loud ass noisy circuits that are setting the fucking data they're receiving on fire and i also need to go to tape i need all of these things i need everything that they used to use back you dude let's talk about 90s metal like big <laughs> not even like huge productions but bigger production metal records in the 90s why is it that it was just Oh yeah, we have to go to tape. Like there's what what do you mean? Like we have to. That's that's like the glue for everything. And like oh okay, yeah, that's that's fine. Can you sign me up, please? Can you like just make that the room that I have to go into? You have to do this shit through this console, and the drums will be in that room. The guitar cab will be in that room, and we're gonna use a fucking 70s Marshall amp that is fucking screaming at 200 dB, you know, probably destroying the cab that it's going through. And yeah, that's what I need. And all those fucking comps and fucking. Preamps and EQs And all this shit just Turn them all on red. Everything <laughs> in the red I want everything in the fucking red dude Yeah that's, that's what I want And like yes you can get And achieve great things In a full digital In the box realm Yes you can But that's not what I want because that doesn't sound like everything in the red over here in this <laughs> all analog world that's where i need to be like things don't work the same there they do but they don't they just don't they don't sound the same and like that, I think that's the sound that I have chased my entire life. And I don't have outboard gear to just be like, oh, let's just track this shit like this. I, I don't have that. I don't even know anybody who does that. I could be like, can I just track like 35 seconds of something here just to see? And nobody has, you know, 30 to 60k sitting around like all right let's go track this shit in a big in a big studio I don't I can't do that but I think that's where I need to be I'm pretty sure like I have like
0: so you just want shit to sound like it's fucking exploding
2: yes yeah is this metal or not <laughs> <laughs> like, you know like one one big ass thing that a lot like one of my friends we, I had a conversation with him about this and he said what happened to metal and I said what do you mean and he's like don't you remember when metal was dangerous? Yes. You know, he's like, things are not supposed to be fucking polished and clear coated and fucking all nice and neat. He's like, dude, this is fucking metal. This is everything in the fucking red, bro. Let's go. <laughs> and I've, ever since he said, dude, that he told this, he said this to me at least ten years ago, at least, and that always stuck with me. Like, yeah, yeah. It's that's how. That's why. It sounded the way that it did because everything was fucking exploding. But when you're exploding in an analog world where it doesn't become clip zones, it just becomes more saturation. It's like, yeah, well, that's what I want. Where's the saturation button? Because <laughs> uh, my, Mac, my Mac doesn't have a saturation button. Can somebody help me, please? Like, you know, that's where I think I need to be. But I just have never been able to get into that world to to do it and see is, is this what I really need? Is this it? Yeah. I just haven't, haven't gotten there, I, but I, I, I strongly believe that's what I have been lacking in every single record I've ever done. And you know, whatever, anybody can think like, Oh, dance of three, super, whatever it was, dance of four, whatever it was, glass cloud, whatever it was, and beer, whatever it was. And to me, it's not there yet. I will say like the drums are Closer, but still not there. Though
1: I think I know what you want. You just want all of your band to be in the same room, everything turned into the red, and you just play it. Maybe so. Maybe maybe that's what it would take. If you're saying that you do feel, then you want that feeling, but from the whole band at the same time. You want it to sound pissed off, like you're pissed off in the room,
2: hundred percent. Like
1: some of the Burnt by the Sun records, like
2: really, really do it for me. Yep. but if I'm being brutally honest, Chaosphere is it. Like. That, it's just it, chaosphere is interesting. It. Like, if you could, if you could put me in that room and give me the chaosphere button, like okay, I swear I might do like a little more like fifty hertz just to really get it fucking dancing down there. But other than that, yeah, you might be like maybe it's just a live recording is just what I need. But I, I never have like the band to be able to pull that off you know like to do it to do it properly i would say you know i just i got to have a drummer who knows all of the material just like this you know and then it's more like well shit should i spend the time with the drummer so the drummer makes you know his or her her own parts, the way that they wanted to go down. Now, does that sync up with the actual song and what the vision was? You know, it's always all these things. So it, now it turns into I have to just do everything. <laughs> you know, and like, dude, let me stress this to you: I do not want to play drums ever <laughs> I do not ever want to do that drums is the most painful thing because I play drums like an asshole like rather than like <laughs> just playing the parts like and being in the pocket like <laughs> I've instead of just doing it like this, I have to swing from back here for some fucking odd reason to hit the fucking splash.
0: <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? And like, so you play drums the way your guitars sound.
2: Absolutely. Like, are, are we do, are we doing it or are we not doing it?
0: Like, it's <laughs> this metal go or, not? For
2: it or sit down, <laughs> you know, and like, plus, here's the other thing. What's the one fucking thing they tell you when you go to track drums in a studio? Beat the fucking shit out of your drums. Yeah, hit hard. Yeah, well, dude, no, I can't. My hands will fall off. Like I can't just, <laughs> I can't just keep beating everything forever. You know, and like, but I, I, I get it. I just, man, that's just a lot. That's like, I feel for drummers when they have to go into a studio environment. I feel for them because, like, yo, that shit is not easy, especially dude, if they're shredding a kid. It's like, God, dude, like drummers are so. And they're everything. They are everything to any recording that we do, drummers are everything.
0: They are. They just are. Did you play in a mure at the same time as Mark Costillo? No. Okay. Just wondering. Cause uh that guy hits so fucking hard. <laughs> uh I remember recording him once and he was snapping cymbal stands in half. Oh my god. <laughs> Can I just ask you this? Why why
2: do they have to play that hard? Why?
0: He just does.
2: But oh, I mean in general like in a studio environment, why why do they have to play so right. hard that they're like, you know,
0: borderline hurting themselves? Cuz the drum just sounds better. There's a difference between Wait. hitting
1: it too hard and hitting it right, though. That's also the thing. So yeah, but
0: if you if if you have to choose between playing too soft. Yeah, or I too pick hard, too hard for sure. Pick too hard always, but it's just the drum it's I feel like almost like the drum is activated or yeah. something. There's okay. something like that where if you hit it hard enough, um the shell vibrates.
1: Well, properly. you hear that in a guitar uh,
0: environment too. Like when you
1: turn up the amp yeah. and then all of a sudden you mm-hmm. hit this point and when you do a palm mute, the cab yeah.
0: farts, it comes to life. Yeah, that's that's what I think it is with drums. Um, because with light hitters, you know, they can be super consistent. But if they hit lightly, you will just never get that fucking crack and smack and just right. thing that... That power, you will just never get that. Now, there's, like, drummers like Alex Rudinger who are not bashers but are super consistent, but he hits hard enough. Yeah. Like, still, he might not be the hardest hitter on earth, but he does—he's in that sweet spot where, you know, he does hit hard enough. But, like, it just sounds better, man. It just does. Like, it's hard to explain other than what I said, is I think the drum comes to life. I think also if you're recording a room, the room comes to life more. It's just, it feels different. Like You can feel it.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, that's not for me anymore. Nope. Mm -mm. (laughs) I don't need to be in there swinging these fucking tree trunks around. I don't need to be doing that. I need to find somebody that can do that for me.
0: (laughs) Do you consider yourself a hard picker?
2: Absolutely not.
0: Okay, so it's more about finesse.
2: Yes, one thousand percent. Okay, which is bringing me to the argument uh, Brown and I are about to get into.
0: <laughs> the Brown hits hard as fuck.
2: You just want to dive in. You just want to dive in. <laughs> All right, let me take a let me take a drink because we're about to get into a fucking argument. <laughs> so. I have seen this countless times countless times brown I, I, this is so directed at <laughs> you right now I hope you can see my eyes beaming at you so I've seen this countless 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 times and you still do to this day because you're a psycho <laughs> but downstroking let's just get into it let's just get into it let's go let's okay. go head first you're not you're not you're, you're not about it are you Absolutely not. I shouldn't say absolutely not. I will say this. The only time I downstroke, like, specifically constant downstroking, is if the part literally calls for it. If if there's, like, a certain motion or a certain part of a riff that you just have to downstroke it to bring it out, which ultimately that just turned into economy picking anyways, but... I think especially being a person that plays like active pickups, I'm already getting crazy amounts of output. My gains, my gain structures are always rather hot and like, I don't, I play rather light strings. So they're very snappy anyways. So I don't generally need to downstroke. Like I, when I watch some of the videos that you do, it's painful. (laughs) Like I know that when you're doing that, your arm, if, if there was like, shading it would it starts off like yellow and then it just gets red and more red and more red and more red then to the point where it starts going like purple and shit and like i it yo however you play is however you play and if if that's what you like if you like it i love it basically (laughs) and i remember downstroking was a big thing for me like way back in the day just like dude get The fuck out of here! Like I will fucking dial in my gain and just go. It is going to to be fine. Like absolutely fine.
1: Okay, let me let me say this to the mind that is your that you're a drummer, so you can understand the mindset of why I do this and why I feel it's so important. So we take your left and right foot as a right-handed drummer. Obviously, your leading foot would be the right foot, and then your left foot is significantly weaker than your right foot. And mm-hmm. if you tell me it's exactly the same, I think you're lying. <laughs> yeah, that would be a lie for sure. That would So that's be a the lie. same mindset as the up and down pick for me. Oh, okay. So if you think that for the majority of the time, if you need to hit your drums hard as fuck because it sounds better, then any part that you can do with one foot rather than both is going to sound better. It's going to be more in time. It's not going to be like a galloping horse. It's just going to be consistent. That's basically the approach. So that's why I downpick everything.
2: Now let me ask you this then. As far as like being in a distorted setting for one, when you're doing this da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da versus, da, 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 I, I think I like the alternation of it. Because it just, it gives it more life rather than ba
1: ba ba ba
2: versus, d- uh, 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 you know, type of a thing.
1: It is, that does obviously happen. It depends on what the overall intent is as well. Because obviously the, the variation, I'm not going to hit down every single time this exact same consistency. But one thing is, is that mm-hmm. it means that my hand can stay in a very similar position rather than having to change. So that means I right, can mute the right. strings a lot easier. And, you know, I know you know, where I'm going to go to next. And obviously I can change how hard I want to hit it. It just gives me a little bit more control. So it's not like I'm hitting hard consistently. It's just I just find the level of control I had was a lot more. That's basically what it is.
2: That's interesting. I just, I've seen it and heard it so much in it. I, I, I swear these people only refer to you. Anytime that a down the, the the two words downstroke are put together, your face pops up. No matter what.
1: Always everyone should know about James Hetfield or Scott Ian or <laughs> Yeah. All the Titans of Thrash, I you know agree. the Thrash lads. The why well, let's be honest, it's fucking outrageous.
2: Yeah. Well you also have a very interesting picking technique where you the way that you can roll your hand into being very like locked in a very very strict position where you're playing at and watching how fast you are able to continuously keep all these downstrokes happening if we were playing guitar together i would most definitely be economy picking that 100%. every
1: one of us is capable of doing that i mean we all spend a lot of time mm-hmm. in our teenage years doing something didn't we
2: yeah, Never we didn't. I and yo, when I learned economy picking, it was over. And it was, you know what's really crazy about that is, you know, you don't ever really learn economy picking. You just allow yourself to economy pick.
1: That's quite funny because that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, you because you're if you just
2: let yourself go, your chances are you're gonna economy pick anyways. You know, but once I really learned that, that's when like it became the finesse thing. Like, it wasn't so much about how hard am I railing these strings because I actually don't want to rail the strings. I just want to hit them in the right, excuse me, in the right spot with, you know, the right amount of power. Like, I don't... I generally try to have some part of my hand on the body of the guitar at all times if i can keep it like that i know i'm not throwing really a, a whole lot of energy at the strings and again like the finessing of things that just the same way that you would be playing ghost notes you know like da 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 you know something like that now you can almost develop that same type of uh, groove and like intensity and dynamic range in a guitar. So you want to, you know, you can actually pick it like that. And now we have dynamic range flying all over the boards with everything, even though we're still distorted and, you know, it's, it's already fucking loud, you know? So I just, I don't know. Once I, once I really like started messing with the economy picking, I don't, I don't, think I ever really went back to downstroking I only downstroke if I'm like oh I'm fucking pissed (laughs) like that's the only time I'm downstroking like that's it or if there's a part where I just need that but it's more like an effect at that point it's not really like my playing style you know like my playing style is what is comfortable and now can you still have good technique and being comfortable like that's those are the that's I guess where I try to really like keep things it's like be comfortable and have good 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 technique like that's it and when all i hear is all these people like fucking brown just downstrokes everything i'm like yeah he's been doing that for 37 (laughs) years it's fine you know that it makes it makes sense and when you play it you just make it look like it's nothing and i watch it and i'm like i'm gonna go to the bathroom because it's just it just is insane i just i don't i don't know how you can still be doing that i you're crazy yeah, there it is right there. I can't. No way.
1: No way. <laughs> it just sounds to me like you got lazy, mate. That's what I'm hearing. Oh, <laughs> oh damn. <laughs> He's not
2: wrong. <laughs> He's 1,000% one, 1, not wrong. Nah, no, I'm kidding. Also, with getting lazy, then I learned... I guess maybe that was where this whole... Economy picking thing really just came in, you know, like a lot because I I downstroke where it needs yeah. to hit, not necessarily down 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 down, but more like down up down, <laughs> up down down up down, you know, like where it needs to happen. I always get those accents where they yep. need to be, you know. So it's almost like playing drums on the guitar. It
1: makes sense. Everyone finds their way to to really like every. If, the good thing is though, you tried it. A lot of people just don't even try it, you know? Um but you tried it and you found where it works for you and where it doesn't. And I think that's the positive thing. It just works for me, you know? That's the reason that I do it. I just like how it sounds. I like the the division of the notes. If we
2: used to, like and when we were kids, that Nate, when he was teaching me how to play guitar, like that was it. You downstroke, period. And that's what it was. And then one day I was like I was like, "Yeah, this is uh, not okay anymore." <laughs> and uh, there's also this thing called upstroke. Like, I don't know if you guys have heard about this yet, but it it works. Never heard of it. it, it yeah, it's it's a really cool thing. It's like, man, you 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 use like 50 percent less energy, and uh, you can go really fast if you do this. Like, really fast. <laughs> <laughs> so that was just my thing. That's just that's just it. Economy picking for life. Like you, you are always going to be the downstroker and I'm going to be standing on the side like,
1: and I am the economy (laughs) picker.
0: (laughs) I'm surprised, by the way. I was not expecting to hear that.
1: Nor was I. I'm fucking disappointed.
0: (laughs) I'm not disappointed. I'm kind of blown away.
2: (laughs) It just makes sense, man. It just does. Like, I really like to let the amps do their their work too.
0: All right, let's talk about that. Uh-oh. A lot of traditional thinking is you got to down pick, which I kind of agree with with some exceptions, you being one of them. And then a lot of the standard thinking, which I also agree with, but there's obviously exceptions, is tones in the hands. So let's talk about what you mean by letting the amp do its work. How much of the tone do you think is like you and how much is the amp man
2: that's a hard one like i have let people you know play my full rigs they play my guitar my pickups my strings my tension my amps my calves and it just doesn't sound the same because i I think your technique really plays the biggest shape in what what your sound is you know like if you have a like i don't i don't really play into the strings. I like to finesse the top of the strings and that and doing picking like that, you get more of a slicey sound more rather than puh, puh, like really beating the strings. Like when I see people that attack their strings, it bums me out because it's just why are you doing that to your strings? (laughs) Like it just, it just totally bums me out. And even with somebody that's downstroking all the time, like Brown does look at his attack and like, look at where his attack is at. Like you'd be hard pressed to get him an inch away from the strings. You'd be hard pressed to pull that off because that's where his technique is. So it's like, he still has tons of attack and power in that, but he's not throwing at the strings, he's just picking them, you know, whereas I see other people that do, they, they fly at the strings, bro. Like they, and it's like, what did you feel like you needed to do that for? You know, like that's just kind of, kind of a little overboard to me. Like that's, I don't think that that's necessarily helping you at all. And then as far as the amp goes, like, you know, remember we're, we're playing through to start the distorted, Guitars, you know, and if you really were to sit there and just ba, 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 ba harder and harder, you're going to get to a certain point where it's like, I'm not getting anything more and plus the more that I'm doing is now creating noise where it's like I don't really need all that so now you got to go back and like okay now I need to back down the gain a little bit or do this do that it's like there's a sweet spot on literally everything there is a sweet spot and so for me being like a tube amp person I um like I think I feel like the dynamic range and the distortion is way more pronounced in uh in a tube amp than anything else really and so it's, that's just kind of like a balancing thing i don't have to like rail the string to get full projection into that amp you know especially playing like active pickups it's like They're already screaming as it is. And then chances are I'm probably running into a tube (laughs) screamer, you know? So now it's just like I got the maximum amount of overdrive going into this amp. So now it becomes more about now I need to control it. And I just noticed, like, again, with this whole economy picking, like, you know, you're never going to have the same amount of power upstroking as you would downstroking. So there's already a dynamic range right there, and yeah, that's that. There's there's really no trickery to it. It's just balance, balance everywhere from you at the guitar and your picking of the strings, all the way to everything you run into, into whatever amp you may be using. And that's not to say that like you know processors are not doing a great job because they are. I use them now too, but there's just a different dynamic range on an amp. And that's why I guess I always kind of gravitate towards an amp if I can, you know, and it's, it that the whole thing with the tone being in your hands, it is really is a real thing. It just is. I don't know how or why it works like that, but that's a big thing. Like I I share any of my presets on everything that I use. I share them all the time and I still get messages to this day. Like, dude, it just doesn't sound like that. And it's like, Well, I guess I could email you my hands. I don't know what else I could do here. You know, like there's it's it's but it is a real thing. Like the a lot of the tone, I think, does come from your hands. And I guess I just have slicey hands because depending on like where you're muting at, I mean, it just starts to sound like a weapon more than it does a guitar, you know, where that's really what I want. I don't necessarily want tone, 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 notes, notes, notes. I kind of like just fucking visceral sounds, you know, like more so than like, always being like whatever note or whatever. I I do some weird shit, dude. Don't don't ever listen to me. I told you so many times already. I don't know what I'm doing.
1: <laughs> it's
2: like <laughs> I just don't.
1: I don't. It's funny. I I think the um people that say that often probably don't and I'm in agreement that you probably don't know what you're doing like me. I don't know what I'm doing either. <laughs> but at the same time from that you've kind of carved your own little sound niche and you're in a writing niche which is positive you know i instantly know when it's you right 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 it's a very weird thing let me ask you something
2: whenever you're it's time for you to write do you listen like what do you listen to like in a normal everyday nothing uh, environment nothing like, okay i like I, I just i'm i'm like really stoked to hear that because like i I, I, it seems like I don't ever get to stop working on stuff. I just, I'm all, I'm always working on stuff, like always. So I don't really listen to anything. Like when I do listen to stuff, it's like, you know, lo-fi stuff. Or like, head. I don't know. Like I've been listening to a lot of jazz recently, like old jazz. And like, that's about it. Like I don't listen to metal at all. You know, so I but I have like a weird thing with it. I think if I was listening to metal, especially metal that I really like, that's going to start reworking my gears into not what I sound like in my head. But now all these other things that I'm like really stoked on. And excuse me, I just don't really want to like, you know, start dipping into somebody else's sound. It
1: happens. Yeah. I mean, I think that... um... Yeah. I mean, I know you'll agree with this, but I think that we are products of what we listen to in the moment. Um, Mm. And on the last album, I completely ripped off one metal band by accident. It doesn't sound like, it doesn't (laughs) sound like it, but you can see where it came from. Like you just have to listen. It's not difficult to work that out. Um, So I tend Mm -hmm. to avoid really listening to anything that's in the vein of what I want to do. And if yeah. I want to listen to any music, I tend to just put on Hans Zimmer because it brings out the best mm-hmm. in me. Nice. Yeah.
2: Very um, nice. Like I, I, I can't listen to um, a whole lot of uh, classical stuff when I'm writing because I, I'm not allowed to take things to this monumental level. Which I would fucking love to do. I that like honestly
0: What do you mean by not allowed?
2: Well, there's in a lot of the stuff that I'm involved in, there are parameters that you know what I mean. And so being like I was a band nerd, so being around Big band and like classical, you know, sound is like very uh, a part of me. And like, I know some people think like when I started playing nine strings that there was like this whole thing about going lower and going lower and going lower and that you couldn't be more wrong about that. What nine strings gave me was nine voices. So the same way I was talking about how when you have a string section, you have this section plays these types of notes, these this section plays these types of notes and this section plays this area in my nine string tuning in the very middle of it, you'll notice that there's two C's. And if you were to take two people on a, on basically any strong instrument, if they were both playing that same C, The chances of them both hitting that C perfectly together is highly unlikely. So they're very close, absolutely. And so in the middle of my tuning, there's two Cs. And oddly enough, the the lower C is actually tuned slightly higher than the higher C. So anytime I hit any chord with those two Cs, that chord just becomes gigantic chorus effect. Once you hit those two, yeah. And so that's like where the separation breaks. Like when I think about it in a string section, there's two C's right there. That's, You just left one area and went to the next. And then once you get to like the bottom three strings, now you have all of your bass register. So that's really how I try to use it. I'm just able to get all the way down to the bass register, but I'm still all the way up at standard E, you know, but now I have nine voices to utilize here. And that's really what I was going for. And I've seen like a lot of people like really diving hard into like super low tunings and it's uh, It's
1: just my sugar you know (laughs) Um, and when they delve into those low tunings it's just my sugar
2: yeah yeah like basically it is it is and I try to not really utilize my stuff like that like In the lower register, a lot of it I use either percussively or I use it as octaves, which is like, you know, a really, really big thing in like classical composition is where can I stack these notes? And if I have octaves of them, I can make the expression just massive, you know, and that's kind of what I'm going for. I don't necessarily get to write. Using that and utilizing that a whole lot. But when I do get to, I I have a lot of fun doing that. So that's like, that's like my big thing with the nine strings. I just, I had to, I had to clear that up so people know it's not like, can I actually tune to drop off? Can I? Can I? You know, like, and that's not what it's about. Like, yes, I am extremely low, but it doesn't even feel like that. You know, like, it's just, but I mean, it is, I know it is low, but. It's all about how you use it.
1: It's really uh, to me. It's quite interesting because the you, this entire podcast, you've been saying that you don't know what you're doing, but then that explanation just made me realize that you but just you you're just a very humble person, and you really know what you're doing, and you've just given it all away, and it. now the facade is gone. <laughs> Listen, listen, I'm going to
2: tell, I've, I've literally had this conversation before and somebody else told me, uh, dude, you were just so humble and I had to stop them. And I was like, listen, listen, (laughs) listen, 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 listen,
0: no, I'm serious. I don't know what I'm doing. I, a,
2: that I really don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going off of what I hear in my head and what I think makes sense. And ultimately with the humble thing, if I thought like in my heart of hearts, if I thought that I was just the fucking shit, well, I would fucking tell you. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I'm the shit. Of course I am. Duh. But I, yo, I'm I'm not. I'm just fucking doing whatever I'm doing. I don't. I, I no. I'm not the shit. And the, for whatever reason that a lot of people seem to be lumping me in with these insane players will forever be mind boggling to me. I. We're not even in the in the same realm, and they're like, "Oh yeah, fucking, uh, you know, Misha and Brown and you know Tosin, Javier, Josh Travis." It's like, wh- wait a minute, what? Like, what are we? All I can say is, what the what the hell are you talking about? The- <laughs> like these players are like, I, I I mean this in the best way possible. They're psychos. You're all psychos. <laughs> like they just are, and. I am, I don't even know what the, dude, I tuned my guitar and drop H. What are we talking about? Like, what are we talking? Brown, look at this.
1: (laughs) Look at this thing. Is that 9 or 10? Yeah, this is
2: 9. This is 9. And this is psycho for sure. It is psycho. It is. I just do weird shit. And all of these other players I just mentioned, they are like god tier shredder people. Like, they just are. And, like, the fact that people keep lumping me in with that is, like, for one, I... (laughs) that rules. I don't know why they're doing that, but they are. And like, that's not really like a humble thing. I'm, I'm being brutally honest with you. Like I just, I, I don't belong. I don't belong there. And the fact that people keep putting me there is just like, wait, they're way too kind to me. Way too kind. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I I can't stress that enough.
0: I don't buy it, (laughs) but okay.
2: Oh my God.
0: (laughs) No, but you know what I do buy is, uh, that no matter what, you just won't think that you know what you're doing, which is fine. I think uh, it's important to kind of maintain a little bit of that attitude because it keeps you getting better, it keeps you striving.
2: Well, I'm I'm waiting. I'll I'm waiting for the for the better train because I want to be able to cover fucking animals as leader songs too. And tell you what, I can maybe play the bass, maybe. I might be able to do that.
0: All right, speaking of bass cuz uh, I know that you play that too. What are your thoughts on that arrangement wise just considering that you do play a nine string?
2: I just keep the bass in like the normal register. Like generally this would happen in like sometimes my seven string world but definitely in my eight string world I like to have the bass always be an octave below where the guitar is and honestly hitting an octave below E, like in a drop E territory on an eight string and trying to get that E on a bass, like it's fucking hard to really like get that to come through properly and get it to shine. Like it's really hard to do. So I do it, <laughs> but it doesn't always sound how I want it to, but it, it gets the point across. But in the bass world, man, I could learn a lot still in the bass world, like but, you know, it also is going to play into what is the guitar doing and is there room for bass to, you know, change keys and, you know, move things around. And it's like sometimes in the parameters that I have, I I don't I'm not really allotted the space to do things like that. But I will say this. One of the biggest things I would really like to be able to incorporate is playing with my fingers on bass and not with a pick and Another thing that is very, very present now is bass distortion is like more present now than I think it's ever been before. And while I think it does have a home, like, does and that it can work, I think that I personally don't really do bass distortion in my own stuff because it just ends up jumping in the guitar realm and like a lot of, um, maybe not just more recent and modern records, but just more so now than ever when you're hearing a mix and you're like, dude, these guitars sound so sick. I'm willing to bet you're hearing more bass than you are guitar anyways. And like, I don't want those things to bleed like that. Like, I want them to really have their own homes. So I end up not using a lot of bass distortion, like, in my stuff. Like, the Muir stuff is probably extremely heavy uh, bass distortion. And I think that when you have a whole lot of that happening, you end up taking away from the guitars. And so I try not to really do that a whole lot myself. But, yeah, there's there's some... Dan, there's just so many different places you can take everything. But I like every instrument to have its own home. And, like, bass, I want that... Yo, I know I shouldn't be going this low, but I want fucking at least 60 to, like, 200 in the bass alone. Like, I want that bass to fucking shake the trunk, but I also want it to get up in, like, that very low guitar area. But... If it's clean and not distorted, when they meet up in that 200 range, they're not fighting about it because it's not the same types of sound, you know, so it's like they can kind of, you know, kind of lap into each other, you know, like that's really what I go for just trying to get things to really gel and communicate well, you know, and. Having my bass just fucking, I was like, Nah, dude, I don't need all that. Just, just give me. I need somebody in the in in the back, standing next to the drums, with a four string P bass, just boom 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 boom. boom. That's what I need. That's I need that guy. That's what (laughs) I need. P basses are
0: great for metal, actually.
2: Absolutely, I love them. I don't have one, but I love
0: them. Jazz basses too.
2: Yeah, I never. I don't think I ever tried a jazz bass. Like the P bass was always my favorite, and it just has such a very unique sound and. It just sounds great. Well, we could nerd out in here. We better sound
1: it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're both great. Yeah. With uh, Pro Steels. Fuck yeah. I actually prefer um, those Fender basses for metal recording than any like uh, modern souped up uh, basses. The P
1: bass is so unique because it doesn't really have any sub. It's like it's just all sort of lower mid range to lows. It's very, very unique character, but when you add that into a mix where your kick drum is plummeting the sub, then it kind of just sits really nicely because it's not interfering really with anything. It's like, it's exactly what Josh was saying. It's fitting in that range that doesn't interfere with anything. And and it 100%. honks at you. 100%. It got honks at you. When you hit it, it goes quack. <laughs> you know I mean that's like the J bass doesn't have that as much but it still has it the the P bass is really really unique in that in that regard I think
0: it's interesting how little you need bass wise as far as like an instrument or gear goes to make it all work now that instrument in my opinion is all about the picking hand at least for metal so I know how you were saying how when you pick on guitar in a high gain setting there's like you know, only so much you're going to get out of it once you're in that sweet spot. Man, I think that that, that range is way <sighs> wider oh, yeah. on bass guitar.
2: Oh, uh, 1,000%.
0: Yeah. If you tickle that bass, then there's no power. Yeah, that, that is kind of like drums. You were asking about why you want drummers to hit hard, like why it's kind of similar on bass. If a bass player is not picking hard, it sounds completely different. No,
2: absolutely, it does. It does.
1: I, you know, when it comes to bass, I think it's all about hitting it consistently rather than necessarily hard. So there's a sweet spot. I don't
0: know. No, no, I, I, I agree. I agree about the consistency, though. No, you're right.
1: I'm not saying. I'm not saying not to hit it hard. What I'm saying is, there's a sweet spot with a bass. If you hit it too hard, then the bottom end kind of doesn't exist like if you're going like 127 on cubase with a bass then there's no bottom end but if you go to about 100 to 110 where you just don't quite hit it quite as hard but it's still hard and consistent then you hear the bottom end bloom I
2: i know exactly what you're talking about absolutely
1: so uh, I guess the best way to look at it is like let's let's look at a pack of strings and you can sell them in pro steels where it's super bright and then you can have flat wounds which are like listening to the bass strings after they've been submerged with the Titanic for 150 years um, <laughs> <laughs> and then like let's just take that gauge so you've got pro steel super bright and then that's 127 and if you just knock that down a little bit you start getting the bottom end of those really you know submerged bass strings which aren't present on the transient so it's kind of like there's this weird sort of point because on the first record with uh, with gnosis i hit the fucking shit out of that bass and then when it came to the second record i just hit it a little bit lighter and noticed that the bass was blooming out a little bit more so that, that that's my two cents on that one al it's really
2: interesting here you say that because even when i'm tracking things now if i rail that bass like it just isn't there you know, sometimes it almost sounds like it just defeated the note entirely.
1: Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Very, very weird thing. So it's like, again, finding that that sweet spot. And it's easy to get over excited when you're tracking. Next thing you know, but I'm fucking railing this string. I'm getting no note. You know, but <laughs> yeah, you just you find that sweet spot and it's like I you remember I remember back in the day. When if you were tracking bass, you needed to kind of play as low down towards the bridge as you could get. And, um, that's where you would get, I call it pure tone. That's where you would get a lot of just very clean, very pure notes. And I think, I don't know, maybe over like the last maybe six to eight years, bringing my picking hand way up higher, you get more of a something more mid focused than so much low focus. And so I kind of changed my bass playing technique to playing up there and then change my tone a little bit where I can back down some of these mids a little bit and introduce a little more low end and not still be like, you know, taking over the low end, you know? So that's like something else I kind of been messing with, I guess, messing with for like six or eight years. (laughs) Just messing. I'm just
0: messing. All right. I'm still thinking about what Brown was saying. Oh, God, he's coming for you. (laughs) No, no, I'm not. More than anything, I was just thinking about from the perspective of a listener. They have no idea what we mean by hard and sweet spot. Because what I've noticed is lots of times uh, when I've told people over the internet that they need to pick harder or something, hit harder, be tighter, whatever. Their idea of what I mean is generally, pros aside, by the way, I'm not talking about people in this conversation or, like, our friends and stuff. Like, uh, students, either they don't know what hard even means, like, their idea of hard is so far off from that. (laughs) And so you guys who are all, you know, talking about sweet spots, you guys are already hitting hard as fuck, but within that level of force you guys have figured out control. It's kind of like when you look at a, you know, professional baseball player or something like they don't swing at like 150% power. It's more about, you know, momentum, proper mechanics and everything. We hitting a home run is more about the perfect kind of contact with the perfect kind of momentum, the perfect kind of angle, all that stuff. But still the level of force that they're hitting with is so far beyond a normal human is same with like an MMA fighter. They might not be hitting at a hundred percent power every single time, but just one little jab from a pro MMA fighter will, will level a normal human being. (laughs) So I guess what I'm saying is that it's important for people listening to understand that everything that we're talking about is kind of relative. So like Brown, you pick harder than a motherfucker. And so for you to be saying like, that you back off on base a little bit. <laughs> it's still more impactful. It's still harder than what most normal people yeah. are able to do at their hundred percent. I think it's important to just say that.
1: Yeah. I forget that sometimes, like, you know, that we've gone through that, all three of us where we've burnt our muscles. So they're actually, you know, on fire, um, from hitting so hard and then at that point you've upped your sort of you know your stamina on stuff like that and then you back it down so that you're not constantly a hundred percent because being at hundred percent all the time will just cause injury yeah and i think yeah i think it's good that you brought that up al because i think that you know when we say it's okay to hit the base a little bit lighter than maximum people will be like all right i'm hitting it all right now that's fine you know No, you got to drive yourself to hit it harder, and then you'll find the sweet spot.
2: And then you have me on the other spectrum, and I'm like, dude, stop hitting that thing so hard.
1: (laughs) Just, just relax.
2: Just relax. Let the amp do its work too.
0: Yeah, but still, like, your I feel like your definition of don't hit that hard is still like, yeah, far beyond what uh what like a student level guitar player or an amateur is going to think about when hitting hard.
1: I also think it's different. I actually think that Josh is probably saying, "I want you to have more control of that rather than hit hard." Yeah, us. I, yes. I
2: agree. Yeah, yes. I agree, hundred percent. And you know, honestly, like one of the more slept-on things about your technique and your, you know, like the perfect word you used was contact, because that's that is like literally everything and all of this, whether it's drums, bass, guitar, like the way that you are contacting those you know the strings or the heads or whatever it changes everything but from the guitar perspective you know we're using picks and the pick that you're using can change everything about all the way from how you play to what it sounds like when you're playing and so one of the things that i'd use that really made me focus way more on uh my technique was switching to jazz three picks and um because they're so small, you know, and you don't, you can't really swing for, you know, for the bleachers with the jazz 3 you're going to end up putting your fingers into the strings more than you do the pick, you know, so you've really got to pay more, you don't have to, you're just going to start paying more attention to how what's your technique is like when you're playing something like that and i already choke up super hard on the pick so you're talking like i don't know maybe two centimeters maybe three centimeters of the pick is actually out and you know uh contacting the strings so i have to like pay attention to like where's my hand like where is the pick like am i holding my hand in a weird way you know all all these things like you know uh go into consideration when, you know, when I'm playing, just because the, I kind of gave myself rules. You only get this much pick and you already know you can't contact the strings if you're swinging from back here, you know, it's just like tons of little things like that. And, you know, the, also like the thickness of the pick, like I see people using these things that are like, dude, I don't know what you call them, but they are like a quarter of an inch thick And they just bum me out. (laughs) Like They just bum me out. Like, I see them. I'm like, just stop it.
0: Just stop it. You
2: You know, like, hey, some people have some, like, really cool turnouts with them. And I'm still going to be standing behind them. Like, just stop it. Please here, just I have I have a pick in my pocket. Just take this, okay? Stop it. <laughs> and like I don't I don't use very light picks and I don't use very heavy picks. I like, you know, just it's all about the balance. The balance is everything. And it's like I use like point like Brown, what, what size picks do you use? Like one Yep. One. Yeah. Yeah, I use a .88, and like I used 1.0s forever, and like they're great, but something about the .88 slightly gives slightly. It does.
1: with it depends on the material of the pick as well? So I use the Max Grip nylons, and the main reason is is that every other pick just seems to fly everywhere into different dimensions, either in my house <laughs> or on stage. So, so the 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 nylon one is kind of like a. Uh, you know, it's the one that stays put more than anything. Um, but like a- 88s, when we're talking about Tortex or something like that, then yeah, it's cool because it has that extra little give which you get in the nylon at one mil. Whereas 88 in the nylon is a little bit too light, and it's you can actually hear the k- k- of the pick, yeah, which you don't uh-huh. you don't get it as much with the one, and it's a little bit more. It still moves, but it's more controlled movement, if that makes sense. It's hard to explain because... I might try that again sometime. Like,
2: are you talking about the red ones? Yeah, you hear that squeak. The red picks with like the... I don't know what to call it. It's like... I don't know. It's got some kind of a grip... Like, that's what's on the pick, like something you could easily grip onto way more. Cause yeah, these things, oh my God. They're when we play a show anywhere, there's probably like 600 picks all over that stage,
0: you know, cause they're always
2: flying out of my hands. I just love the like how small they are. And Lane used to do this thing. He would take his picks and he would take a knife and cut slashes like into the pick. And that's where the grip came from. Yep. And like, I am way too lazy to do that. But if I did, I'd probably hold on to my picks a lot more.
1: (laughs) I probably
0: would. What were you saying, Al? Oh, 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 I was saying the squeak when you were talking about the noise the picks make.
1: Yeah, it just, uh, yeah, just on the softer ones, you can hear it a little bit more, you know, where it's like the clatter. But um, it's not the red ones that I use, Josh. They're black and they're called Max Grip Nylons. They're just a normal pick size. Not smaller like the jazz threes but you can also get the jazz threes in nylon i believe and they have the grip on
2: the ones that i remember were the red ones like that and i i don't know why i didn't ever like the red pick i was like Mm-mm, i don't want that <laughs> <laughs> i just don't want a red pick but they have like the the tortex like they have black ones that are like this but They, those also didn't have the grip. They probably do have them now. Like, but I literally just got a shipment of picks. And of course, they're the 0.88s and there's no grip. And that noise that you're talking about, I get it all the time. I definitely do, especially on my seven strings that are just in drop A. They, it shows up all the the time, all the time. And I'm just used to it. So it's just like, oh, that's just another one of the things in my sound. That's just what it is. Like, it all, <laughs> Always is there. Dude. Boop, 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 boop. A- anytime I'm downstroking, oh, that note's coming. <laughs> it's coming for sure. It's quite
1: interesting how like the the more we play music, the more susceptible we get to these. You know, we hear these little nuances that you know guitar players that have only just started out maybe wouldn't even know what we're talking about because they've not had the opportunity to delve in that deeply. The pick that we use is so important, as you were saying earlier, because it you can really change the sound of absolutely everything. If you think it is the last point of contact before the sound goes out of your amp, and obviously the pickups are going to make a difference. What wood your guitar is made out of is going to make a difference. Um, the, even the, the length of the fucking cable makes a fucking difference. Yeah. And it's weird that like, I mean, I'm going to, I'm I'm going to say that I'm really bad with this when it comes to trying different picks. And we've obviously explained my problem already, but um, changing the pick can really help guitar players understand what's missing from their sound because what they're missing might not be that they need to change their fucking pickups or anything else. It might just need to change the fucking pick.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's a very real thing. And it's such a little thing that you wouldn't think that that's going to make a difference. And like, even me when you're just saying like just like the 1.0 kind of got rid of that noise and like it's way less forgiving you know like uh i'm i might actually just try one of those out just to see what what the difference actually is i am I might have to do that <laughs> uh, i got i just i've been playing these 0.88 jazz threes for years like i don't even think about it it's like that's just what i use but maybe I should try that. Maybe I should try that out again. Like, I haven't had to play a big boy pick in a while. (laughs) I haven't done that. I haven't, you know what? I haven't had to play a big boy pick since I stopped downstroking everything. (laughs) I haven't had to. It's just like, I don't need that big ass thing. Like, no. the fact that you're not using Jazz 3s is, I just, by watching the way that you played, you must also choke up on the pick pretty high.
1: Mine moves a lot. Really? Yeah, it moves a lot. It depends on what the part is. So obviously for the really intricate stuff, I'll have less pick because there's less movement coming from my right hand. But when it's like chords and stuff, I just move it all the way out and it can flap all around at once.
2: (laughs) I haven't played a normal size pick. You know what I call normal size picks?
1: Grandpa picks?
2: Doritos. (laughs) Big ol' ass pick That's Doritos, dude I haven't played one of those in so long I don't know if I would know how to hold it properly (laughs) I don't even know if I could I don't know if it would would work Like, I'm so used to, like, the Jazz 3 Sticking, like, in this little spot Like, right here on my thumb And, like, I play Somebody the other day told me that I hold my picks weird And, like, so it's like I'll have my thumb flat And then my index finger Is right there Okay So, I don't know if that's weird or not, but, I, dude, I have the tiniest amount of pick. Like, it is tiny. And that's why I don't have to really move. Like, that's why I was saying I keep, like, a part of my hand on the body, like, all the time. It's because I don't move very far because I only have, like, this much pick. So I really can't move a whole lot. If I do, I'm going to probably miss the string, you know? So it's a very... Very probably weird way of picking, but now I got to go get some Doritos. I need to get some big boys. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not getting anything bigger.
1: Don't change something that isn't broken. There's no. There's, if it's not broken and it's working for you right now and it sounds good and it's what you want to do, then only change. I would say if you're noticing a problem, like I think that's part of the problem with guitar players is that we have so much choice. It's like going to the shop for a loaf of bread now. Do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> like, it's all the same thing. It's just like, what, what flavor do you want? And I think that that's probably a way to see it with the picks. If you're noticing something you want, I, I want a different flavor. Like maybe something's not quite right right now. Then change up the pick. But if it's working, then I wouldn't change it. I mean, Al, you spent years in the studio with. How thousands of picks with thousands of players. Like I'm guessing that you probably had a set of picks that just worked in every single case scenario, right?
0: Uh, yeah, I would say that that's about accurate. I had what I called basically a pick store. Like I had uh basically like any, just about anything you can imagine there. Uh, just because uh they, it makes such a profound difference. Um, I mean there were mainstays. You know, there were like the picks that were used 80% of the time, but still I had as many different picks as possible there because you never fucking know. And before I forget, can we talk about your collab with Charles Caswell on YouTube? What is the story with that?
2: I don't even know how we came into contact. I could have just seen one of his videos and was like, dude, you're sick. Like we should collab sometime. And he was like, cool, let's do it. (laughs) And that was that I, I wrote some. It, okay. Here's my, here's my thing going back to like the whole rhythm playing versus lead playing. I do not consider myself a lead player at all. I don't even like playing leads. I don't, I, that's not my thing. I like playing rhythm. So working with Charles was so sick because he is, oh, he's an all around player. He can play any of it. He can play all the rhythm, all the lead, and he can go like uh, even above and beyond in the lead realm. Like he's, he's insane. So th- it our chemistry was like perfect because I'm going to stick to this and he can stick to that, but also take things to like the next level there. And it just gelled so well. It was like so easy and we just keep doing stuff now. It's just that simple. He's just, he's just rad. And his, his whole approach and like what he's going for like overall is like so different than like, you know, your typical or more modern sound like he doesn't he's not going for that and you know it shows and it's like with me having an absolute like old school kind of sound mixed with his, they just, they don't clash at all. It's just like, I already like my sound gives him like all of this area that all of his stuff can sit in and not be fighting with my stuff at all. You know? So it's just, it worked out really, really cool. And he's just so sick. What a sweet guy. He's just so sick. It's disgusting. Like he's one of those, he's one of those <laughs> lead players that also pisses me off. Cause it's like, <laughs> Okay, cool. (laughs) You know, like, I can't wait to never be able to do that. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's just another one of those players. Like, just just another one of those. It is
0: kind of uh, unnerving, the Mm -hmm. shit he can do.
2: Yeah, it is. It definitely is. And, like, you know what? You know what's really crazy about that? I think people were just, like, not prepared for how insane he was. And there was all these people trying to say, like, oh, he doesn't do this. He can't actually play this. And I didn't even say anything. Like, the whole time Charles and I were writing this stuff together, he would be sending me videos from his phone. And he's, like, you know, asking, like, what do you think of this? And then I start seeing all these people that are, like, he doesn't play this. He can't do this shit. And I am... Dying on the inside Just like you guys have no Idea what you're talking about And I was just like you'll whatever You'll figure it out one day and then he Just starts releasing videos where he's just playing It like All you hear is the phone audio and now they see that he is just the truth. And I'm so glad he did that because God, he's just way too good. And like, I think that's why people were trying to say like, he doesn't do this because he's just too good. He's just way too good. Like, it's it's not fair. Like, share some with me. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Share. Just share. And so, fuck that.
0: Yeah. I think people can't imagine being able to do that. It's That's why. Like, they can't it seems so unrealistic to them.
2: Mm -hmm. And it doesn't sound like a normal metal guitar. It doesn't. It almost has like a video game feel like this. uh, I don't even know how to, I honestly don't even know how to word it. It's like just not typical or modern guitar sound. It's just not. And so it's like, well, this isn't real. And it's like, well, I mean, it is though, (laughs) you know, like he's just a total sicko. Yeah. You know, it's very it was very funny. But yeah, that was that was it. That's how it all came about. We just ran random messages. And it was like, Hey, I'm a fan of you. And he's like, No, I'm a fan of you. And oh, you know what? It had something to do with Danza. That's what it was. It had something to do with Tony Danza. Like Charles and my singer from Tony Danza were making stuff together, and that conversation kind of the focus shifted to Maybe doing more danza stuff And then once Charles And I started talking it, Then it just turned into Do you want to just write some stuff Just cause <laughs> You know and here we are but that's how that actually started That's how it was
0: How did uh, How did the collab work?
2: Just so everything all internet based I just, you know, once we decided to do it I just wrote like a section Like whatever the first thing was I wrote like, you know, whatever kind of rhythm section And sent it to him And, you know, he did what he did And sent it back And it was like, well, this is fucking sick And then we just finished it I just wrote the rest of all of my rhythm parts And I sent it to him And he wrote more lead <clears throat> stuff And then when that came back I ended up changing certain things from my spot and, you know, allowing more room for his stuff to, you know, kind of jump off. And uh, it was it, honestly, it was like some of the fastest swapping of things I've ever done. Like it seemed like it was kind of, uh, I'll send you this. And then like the next day he sends something back. And then when I got that, I sent that back and then that you know three o'clock in the morning he sends something back and it's, it's just super fast and like you know it's different when you don't have to worry about like vocals and shit you know to have to put together this whole thing around this body of work and you know we don't we didn't have that there so it was just very easy like not very not very much put into it other than playing and that was it super easy
0: Awesome. We have a few questions from listeners. Cool if we ask them?
2: Absolutely not.
0: <laughs> All right. <Okay. laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yes. Okay. yes. Cool. Okay. Here goes. Dusty Simmons is wondering, being the lone guitarist in the band, in a live setting, do you use rhythm backing tracks to fill out guitar parts? And if so, how do you go about panning those alongside your live guitar signal?
2: Absolutely, I have to like, it's, it's gotta be full. And since they won't let me have another person, uh, Steve jobs is my other person. He plays uh guitar stage, right? Good, and I too. play guitar stage left. He's really not that good. <laughs> he fucks He's up really a lot. not that good. Oh dude. He, you know, you remember what I was telling you about tracking? Like uh, ultimately when I'm tracking in a studio environment, I give myself three passes and whichever one is the best that's the one i go with but there's going to be fuck ups in all of them it's, it's always happening so that being said live yes there is fuck ups all the time i'm not going to go and fix it. why why i don't care like did did that, did that one flub make it so it's like oh fuck this band like get out of here like just we're we're here to it, dude it's dangerous it is dangerous i promise it's dangerous so i keep it like that 100% and like I hear it every night. Sometimes when I run up to that spot where the fuck up is, I fuck up as well, <laughs> just to keep it all like you know, 100 percent true. Like yeah, I fucked it up. I'm gonna fuck it up again. And yeah, I you you I have to do that. Like it just isn't. The sound would never be big enough to just be just me. Like there's been multiple times when I've run myself and did a, like a delay split, so I would still be hard left. Like in uh, the PA, I I always run my guitars hard. And um, so I would be hard left. And then my delay split, which would be somewhere between like 26 and 30 millisecond delay. And I would pan that hard right. And then I would put a pitch shifting modulator on it so it... The, the right side is constantly Moving 16 cents up And 16 cents down And it's just randomized so it just moves Up and down whenever it is and then it's also Delayed so you got a really big Spread but there's parts Where I need the right guitar to drop Out and then it's only me Just left and like I you know Then that puts me back in pedal board World and I'm not doing that shit again I I do know I was in Danza, I had A five <laughs> and a half foot pedal board and We are good on that we don't need that, so I just switch. I over remember to that.
1: You know, <laughs> you know those
2: days, like, dude, I can't do that anymore, man. Now that everything's so simplified, and I can just run a MIDI patch to anything that I'm using, automate it, and I don't have to touch anything, and it's done, and I don't have to worry about some, you know, some. Idiot jumping up on stage and stomping all over my shit, and you know, oh, I spilled beer all over the paddleboard, dude. Like, no, I don't have to worry <laughs> about. It. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Like that happened like plenty of times when some freaking monster ran up on stage, was like, "What's this? A pedal board <laughs> Yeah!" And they're fucking clicking on shit, stepping stuff, spilling shit all over, like. No way, dude. No way. So <laughs> I kind of got lucky with like the advancement of all the gear now. So I can just automate stuff and don't have to
1: have anything on the floor anymore. I love that. Perfect. So I've got a question here from Christopher Boyd. With your journey going back as far as when Knives Go Skyward or touring with Calico System, how do you feel about how far you've come? And what goals do you set for yourself when you're already so damn good?
2: Wow, well that that's really awesome. That's that's really cool. Even knowing like calico system, that's crazy.
1: I forgot about that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think at this point, my only goal is to get better, and just to continue to get better, learn new things, try new things, and you know, never never being afraid to try something, even if it's way out of pocket. As far as like the whole journey goes, like I don't really know. I'm just like. Like life is different now for me where it's like, I'm more interested in quality of life than pursuing whatever it is. Like, you know what I want to do? I want to have a good time with anybody that I'm with. And that's, that's like the start and end of my day. Like if I can have a smile and bring somebody else one sick, like that's it. That's it. Like musically, I just want to do literally whatever I want to do. I want to be able to do anything. Like I don't, I don't just do metal stuff. I could do a lot of other stuff that I just have never put out. And, you know, like I just want to be able to do it all. Like I don't want to be confined to one thing.
0: Okay. So Mark Shriver is wondering how the hell did you come up with the tuning where you tune one string just a few cents off in a way that makes it sound good? What's your approach to that?
2: I think I must have read this somewhere, or you know what? It might have been one of my Berkeley bros telling me about this, that the Beatles would detune things or raise them in pitch ever so slightly, and it just makes things bigger. As long as it's not too far where it literally starts becoming dissonant, then it can potentially just be bigger. And then uh, the way that I applied that initially was guitar left would always be in what I could get as close to as perfect tune. And then guitar right, I would always take that slightly lower. I would just start moving random strings just slightly out because I like to do a lot of chords and um, basically when you hit those chords with both sides and you got slight detunes and, sh- and things like that, it just gets so much bigger, so much wider sounding. And that just became like a thing I do all the time now. And so... Once I was putting the nine string tuning together and I came to this point where I was like, what if I had two of the same note and then just kindy or kind of uh, kindy, (laughs) just kindy Kindy? went either (laughs) higher or lower on one of the notes. I wonder what that would be like when I hit a chord or even not a chord. Even when I just use those two notes together, they're already naturally chorusing. Mm -hmm. So." that's really all that it is about is natural chorusing. And now keep this in mind. If I keep both guitars left, cause I told you, I do a lot of quad tracking. If I keep both guitars left, in this proper tuning with those natural chorusing and I take the right guitars and I slightly move those around, especially those C's. Now you have four times the amount of natural chorusing. So when you hit that chord using those C's like that, it's just in that that register where the C's are, those notes jump out like crazy. And it's just like a little thing that I just did. And that, that, that was, it was like a Beatles trick apparently. And you know, that's from way old school. So they were already on to something and that's, uh, basically where it came from. I just kind of incorporated it in my tuning at all times.
0: So it's like the classic rock chorus. Is it? Yeah. You can hear that on like Led Zeppelin records and like, Oh, not just the Beatles. Like it's uh, okay. it's like a classic rock trick. It sounds awesome.
2: Well, yeah, there it is. I'm I'm actually not a metal player at all. I am into classic rock. Thank you.
0: Uh, I'm not sure that they were intending to. Oh, really? Yeah, that's that's the only thing. But it sounds really, really cool.
2: It really does, dude. It makes things get really big and without any trickery. You know, it's just something <laughs> as simple as not being in the perfect tune, and it can really change you know, the way things project
0: sounds wide.
2: And that's, that was it. Yeah. It's just massively wide massively.
0: All right. Alex Denk is wondering when writing cool grooves and riffs, do you feel them out or, and, and or is are there any riff concepts you put into play in your head to flesh them out? So what kinds of ideas or things do you think about when writing?
2: As far as like patterns go, everything is 100% in the drums. And I guess I try to keep kick parts like I like to I, I like things in unison, I, you know, coming from like drum core was like a very, very big thing for me. Like DCI was very, very monumental for me. And like when things get most epic, generally they're unison. And um, so I like to keep a lot of the kick parts unison throughout everything strong. And then I'll try to get a little more involved in the upper parts of, you know, the riff, like not sticking with the kick. And so basically there's there's really like no rules to it. I, I, okay. I take that back. The one rule I try to give myself is to keep it straight. And that, you know, that could be anywhere from the riff is four bars or the riff is eight bars, the riff is 16 bars. Like how many ever bars it is doesn't matter, but just, I like to make it. So it revolves in a way that your, your body's motion is always on a downbeat. Like I I, I like to keep that as like the driving force and that's, ultimately it. Everything else is just whatever you want to do. And, um, for me, like I'm really big on like being on a metronome, like, like sometimes I'll just write to a metronome, no drums at all. And I'll just sit, literally just play guitar. And, um, uh, I think if where that kind of helped with creating my internal clock, like my internal metronome, it did help a lot with that. But, I kind of pigeonholed myself into 16th notes. So 16th notes is where I operate at all times. And so until I get into like, you know, odd meters or like, you know, changing the feel to like, you know, three, four, six, eight or something, you know, maybe seven, whatever the case may be. But I do a lot of my patterns in a 16th note feel. And so because I can generally get that to turn around Mm -hmm on a downbeat and it's just i want to be able to keep your body's motion moving and not get this weird oh shit nope now we're on the backbeat you know i think what do they call that modulating or something i don't know what the fuck these people that know what they're talking about call it but it's something like that you know their metric modulation is that what they call that
0: I believe so. Yeah.
2: Something super weird. Like, yo, get that out of here. I don't want to hear that. All you had to say was flip the beat. That's all you had to say (laughs) because it's still in the same. And if you, so if you had an odd meter, all you had to do is do it twice. And when you came back, now you're back on the down. But for people that aren't really, uh, very schooled in that it is weird, you know, because now you spent this whole time building up this groove and bam, now you flipped it. And now they're like, oh, shit, wait a minute, what? You know, because I also, as much as I want it to be fun to me, I want it to be fun to listen to, you know, and if people have to think about what you're doing, there's already a separation right there, you know, where it's like, well, now I can't really just enjoy it as soon as I turn it on, because now I got to think about what's going on. But then there's also the other side of that. That's like, is it cool? To make people have to really think and reach for what you're doing. Like, there's something to be said for all of these things. Cause, you know, there's times where I do get super weird and there's like no telling what time signature I'm in. There's no telling how many times I just shifted the tempo to get this point across. So it's really all over the place. I just like to be open, like, you know, just come up with like simple, simple drum groove and then see how wild you can get inside of it. Like, that's really what I try to do the most. Most. Great answer! Damn, I should have just said that, huh?
0: That's a great answer, though. It's so a question from a stuff Stalmak, which is, uh, how do you navigate the digital marketing space? Are you involved hands-on with the marketing of your brands or bands online, or do you uh, contract out? I don't think
2: I even have any digital, anything.
0: I just wanted to ask his question because he told me I wasn't going to be able to pronounce his name.
2: (laughs) I hope you got it
0: right. I hope you did. Yeah, me too. We'll see.
2: I don't know. I am personally not involved. I guess I'm kind of lucky because I have had, you know, people that, you know, we work alongside with that can handle, you know, those types of things where I like to really just keep my focus on the material, you know, like that's you know, where I think I'd probably be, probably am most useful. So I generally stick to that, but I do know that we do have marketing teams behind everything that happens. My stuff personally, no, there is literally zero marketing unless I do it when we all know, I'm not about to do that. No. (laughs) So when you, when you hear it, you hear it. And if you like it, thank you. If you don't, thank you. Like either way, like I, but I know like, as far as like a mirror is concerned, yes, we definitely have that, but I am not involved whatsoever. I just want to play the old
0: riff stick. That's it. All right. So last question is from Evan Polk. Definitely a question I've been meaning to ask, where did you come up with the gorf? (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh, that's super funny. So I didn't come up with it. One of my super, super long, uh, lifelong friends, we were, I was streaming one day. I, I, I picked up streaming like more recently. And um, one of the things that I do ev- uh, every Friday is I don't play any of my stuff or listen to any of my stuff. I only listen to other people's stuff. And generally, I like to have people submit their own stuff, whether it's like on a label, not on a label, any kind of backing, like whatsoever. Just when we listen to it together and in hopes that it just grows them, you know, like maybe they can reach more or new people they would not have reached without that. So that's like my whole thing for Fridays, and one day, I think this was very, very early on into me streaming this every Friday, Um one of my buddies, he was in the stream, and we were kind of talking about it, like, man, we should just turn this into a thing, like, every Friday, we do this every Friday, and I was like, damn, we need to have a name for it, and this idiot said Gorf. Gorf. <laughs> now, just a little That's backstory a here, like, we That's grew up backwards. together yeah yeah it literally is and like um we grew up together and one of the things we always did since we were kids is we just make up words and that's it that's now it's a new word and it, we'd use it and that was just one of those moments and now it stuck and now that's what the name of my thing is that's it that's where that came from
0: thank you absolutely
2: absolutely
0: Josh Travis, it's been a uh, pleasure talking to you.
2: Hey, it's been a pleasure being here. And don't for- don't forget, folks, stop downstroking.
0: <laughs> so, Brown, out of curiosity, when uh, you were telling me about Josh's playing, all that, uh, all those years ago, what was it about his playing that blew you away?
1: It's kind of everything. He's a one man band, like a. Uh, I don't know if anyone's really familiar with this, but he actually sang on what became the first demos for Monuments.
0: Yeah, I did know that little known fact.
1: Yeah. So he not only... In fact, actually, I think on Danza 3, he's actually screaming on a bunch of it as well. But the guy can play drums. He just does it. He can play guitar, play bass. He can sing. He can scream. And he can write some fucking insanely good music. The guy's a fucking genius. He's one of those guys that you, you, you know, you come across them at different points in your life. I'm sure you've come across a number of these, Al, as well, where they're, you're just sick to the stomach with jealousy about how great someone is. That's Joshua Travis for me. And he talks down about himself so much as well. And that's, I guess that's a good quality to have because it's constantly making him want to try more without him realizing just how fucking
0: sick he is. What was it about his tone that got you? It's just so pissed
1: off. Josh, when you meet him, he just seems so, you know, he seems like a happy dude, right? Like just wants to joke, joke about, fuck about. And then his music is so fucking angry and it just, (laughs) it's just, it, it translates straight into the tone. It's just so disgusting in the best possible way like when we um we toured with glass cloud in 2014 it was actually our first ever u.s tour and in fact it's when we came down to your studio in florida and stayed at your house the evening and he was using an axe effects in stereo with i want to say there was eight cabs on stage and it just sounded like a wall of noise in the best possible way it was so angry so loud, so Josh. I can just instantly tell when it's Josh because he's got his own thing co- going on. It's like this really pissed off guitar sound, but you can still hear everything that he's doing. It's really, really, really unique. Like, you know, when you hear a guitar player and just everything about what they do is just really unique down to the songwriting, to the tone, to everything. That's just Josh. It's just, it just sounds like him. That's the best way to describe it.
0: Yeah. You know, I thought too, his idea of why to not downpick was very interesting. It was very musical ideas because he does want the variations. Now I understand that you put those variations and dynamics in there, but that was his reasoning, which uh, made a lot of sense to me. Actually, uh, I guess it's easier for him to accent. I, there aren't too many players I know of who are able to alternate pick rhythms like that and still sound beastly. Actually, another one was uh, Rob Arnold from Chimera. He barely would ever down pick. And if you listen to their stuff from the early 2000s, it's heavy as fuck. And he was alternate picking. So I do know that it's possible, but uh, it's rare.
1: It's really rare to get someone that's that consistent with it. Yeah. But then even if you listen to Josh, he did start on the down picking train. Now, I don't know if you remember, he, he mentioned a guy called Nate. Nate was a Muir sound guy when um, before Josh joined i don't know if he still is but he was also in a band with Josh called the Goddamn Rodeo and he's from the same area I taught Josh a bunch of stuff on the guitar now if you listen to Nate as well again if you have them together in a room you'd understand <laughs> they're like the yin and the yang like they complement each other playing wise so well and hearing Josh saying that Nate downpicked everything so obviously Josh knows how to downpick found that he likes it for certain bits and, you know, with down picking, you'll find that you get, there's more separation between the notes. So it goes down to like what wants to be achieved at this point. Yes, you can get dynamics in both and you can control them in both, but it depends if you want to hear the attack of every single note in a down pick versus the fluidity of everything with alternate picking. So I think that it's a stylistic choice on Josh's part for what he wants to do rather than him being lazy and not wanting to learn to downpick.
0: No. Man, I remember with Doth's music, I had to work my way up to be able to down pick the entire set, you know, minus tremolo and shit like that. And there were times where my arm would start to seize up. You know, we were talking about endurance and then I, I would alternate pick to get out of situations rather than just stop playing. And It sounded completely different. I don't care what anybody says. It sounded completely different. When you downpick those songs, two guitars downpicking in sync, like, they sound fucking devastating. And then when one guitar is downpicking and the other isn't, it just didn't have the same kind of power. Now, I'm not anywhere near as good as Josh is, so that could have been part of it too. In my experience, it takes... A very special guitar player to be able to play with that kind of power, that kind of just crushing, devastating tone and not down pick everything. He's a freak.
1: Yeah, there's one other person. That's Wes Houck.
0: Okay. Another freak.
1: <laughs> that's the only two people that I can name that have that consistency when it comes to the alternate picking world.
0: Well, I mean, what does that tell you? Josh Travis and Wes Houck. Like... Freaks. Yeah. (laughs) I was talking about top athletes in this episode, that's what I consider them, like top athletes on guitar. For sure. So what they can do is not what normal people can do.
1: No. You listen to both of them, they've carved their own way in that alternate pick world. It's not normal to be able to do what they do.
0: No. You know what else has to be said? They can down pick. Yes. This is a choice. If you get really good at down picking, you will get good at alternate picking also because you have to, you know, if you're down picking, your picking hand still has to go back up to reset for the next down stroke. So whether or not you want to incorporate down picking into your actual playing in songs, it's a very, very important skill to uh, practice often. I'm not going to say master because mastering down picking is pretty much impossible because the moment you stop doing it, it goes away. But uh <laughs> come close to mastering it and uh, down picking gym is a perfect resource for that.
1: So yeah, the down picking gym is great for building up endurance, strength, and stamina when it comes to down picking. And as Al has already mentioned that it will increase the performance of alternate picking because you do have to come back up. Um, it's just making your hand have the best possible positioning and attack. Exactly. It's the best possible attack from that motion, which will automatically build the strength on the way up as well, which means you'll get more consistency on the up and the downstroke. And also because you're practicing to get more endurance and stamina, you'll start hitting harder, which means that then you'll get better at alternate picking as well in a harder way. And then you'll get the differentiation of the nose, which is what's happened with Josh and Wes.
0: Yeah, so basically you will become a much better guitar player. Downpicking is one of those techniques that regardless of how you use the actual technique, it will make you a better guitar player overall.
1: It's kind of like the word and in the dictionary. Imagine you take that out of your vocabulary and then you try and construct sentences. That's what downpicking is. (laughs) It's just another part of vocabulary to add to your ever-growing list of techniques and skills on the electric guitar and if you miss it out, then you're missing out on a lot that could be beneficial to your playing overall.
0: That entire sentence had no ands in it, by the way. Did it not? Yeah, good job.
1: Ah, there we go. I, uh...
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm impressed. Yeah? I was wait. I was waiting for it. So, uh, riffhard.com, check out the Downpicking Gym, get better guitar. We'll see you next week, Brown.
1: See you next week, mate. Thanks for listening to the Riff Hard Podcast. We'll see you next week.